welcome to another episode of the Negative Positives Podcast. And now, coming to you live out of the Gutter Man Cave in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. He likes his bourbon almost as much as he likes his Pentax. It's your host, Mike Gutterman. Hello and welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 272. I am your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave. Uh, and uh, kind of a, it's a nice fall day today, so uh, uh, kind of getting a little bit chilly here in the evening, but man, we had a beautiful day today, which I'll talk about a little bit in my week. But uh, this is the Monday show, so we have a guest. And also, uh, Mr. Andre Dominguez, everyone's favorite co-co-captain, or just co-captain, is uh, is not not with us tonight. He was not feeling well. Uh, I think he said, I think a sore throat. I think it's just uh, love sickness. But uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But uh, he's uh, kind of under the weather. So it kind of last minute. I had to find a a cocoa captain, uh, someone very chocolatey to fill his uh, fill his shoes tonight. And uh, I had a couple of uh, really good uh, a couple of volunteers on the Facebook group, and I appreciate those guys for volunteering. But I kind of wanted to get somebody that had been on the show before, uh, so that we can kind of concentrate on on our actual guests and not have two people that haven't been on before and have to split up uh, you know, the just the specialness of your first voyage with the. Uh, the SS uh, USS negative positives, but uh, uh, so the uh, co-captain or the co-co-captain tonight is none other than the old camera guy, Mr. Dave Mahali. How you doing tonight, Dave? I am doing great, and thanks again for all this advance notice. So I could do all this show prep. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, well, if you if you had fifteen minutes, you had more show prep than I usually put into this. So, uh, so I think that you should enough. be should be good. So, uh, all right. And then our our, our guest tonight is uh, he is uh, we have another 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 British guy here on the show. So this is becoming a thing, man. These uh, the Brits are trying to take over the show, and I'm going to be, be careful. And uh, uh, I might have to uh, I don't know just. Uh, Put a bunch of tea bags in the ditch behind my garage and have a little tea party. So, but it's not. But this uh, this British guy actually lives in America. So that's a it's a, a different spin on things. So, and that is no, none other than Mr. Sam Heaney. How are you doing tonight, Sam? I'm doing very well, very well. Thank you for inviting me on. It's uh, also been a nice autumn day here too, in um, the Pacific Northwest where I live in Seattle, Washington. So yeah, awesome, good, awesome. Well, I'm sure we're going to find out how you wound up there because I think this would be a good time, Sam, for you to kind of tell the fine uh, folks a little bit about yourself, how you got into photography, and particularly this uh, this film photography thing. Yeah, for sure. I think um, a pretty similar uh, startings to most people with the photography. I think I was young, about eleven, twelve, and I just got a hankering for a camera. I and. Uh, I was playing with my parents' ones a lot and uh, eventually convinced them to get me a, a DSLR. I think it was a Canon 1100D or something like that. I was about mm. 13 and would just take all sorts of pictures with, with my friends and stuff. And, you know, because I, I had a lot of interest in art, but I think as most people get into photography because they do love art, but they've realized they have no drawing talent. No talent. <laughs> right. Talent. Right. No, with a paintbrush, no, tried it all. No, it's like, this photography thing, I think this one's for me. But yeah, so I ended mm-hmm. up getting into it that way, um, taking lots of pictures. Really loved that. Like, I, uh, I know I complained so much when my parents would take me on vacations or holidays in the UK to um, 
lots of different beautiful areas, but the camera let me actually do something on my own. My parents are kind of older, and they would take me to these sleepy beach towns and stuff and things, and the camera was something for me to do there, so that mm-hmm. was always pretty good. Um, and then I did a photography class when I was 16 in what we call college in the UK, and I remember like I was sat in the class, having had a camera for about three years at this point, with this stupid smirk on my face as the teacher was drawing up aperture and stuff. And he was going to go over shutter speeds. And of course, I already knew it. I knew everything <laughs> about apertures. I knew everything about shutter speeds. I cringe at myself now just thinking, like, I must have been such an idiot in the class. Oh, yeah, I've been doing this for years. What are you talking about? Like, shutter speeds, of course. Like, I bet these kids don't even know how to use a camera. Oh, it's literally insufferable. And um, <laughs> thankfully, I think I've moved on from the snobbery now, but from hanging around some of the Facebook vintage collecting cameras I, the snobbery comes back a little bit sometimes you know <laughs> well yeah but you know i mean especially when you get into you know the things you know the, the, the finer things like you know leicas and hassle oh yeah and all of that kind course of stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> i don't have any of those i do have a mamiya though mamiya seven so i am better than most people but you know just in that way not in the like kind of way you know the understated way but, right right, but, right well from that class um Thankfully, I did get to try film photography in that class. The school still had a dark room, which was a little uncommon, I think, for for the time. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, a lot of schools had kind of done away with them. But I managed to get to try it, and I I bought this old Canon body from a market, and because I had already had a Canon DSLR, and so so my lenses would fit on that, and I got to try that. And I remember just shooting a lot of. A lot of HP5 and developing it and enlarging it in the dark room, and that was that was really amazing. That was truly, um, I don't know, revolutionary. I think I think it happens to a lot of people for like um, like me. I grew up in the digital age and stuff, and then mm. you know, we get a get our hands on a film camera and do the process of developing it and enlarging it. And you kind of it's easy to fall in love with on that in that way. Mm. So so that was that was a cool intro to it. And, I do remember when I had to do some assignments for that class, um, we we were just told to like look up photographers, and uh, so I was like looking around, and I remember just ended up on Magnum and clicking around all these different photographers, and I stumbled across this photographer called Alex Soth, and I remember just looking at his pictures, and that was like the first time that I'd ever like really almost felt something like crazy from art or photography. I just didn't really understand looking at the pictures, why I was so drawn to them. Mm-hmm. And just, I just kind of fell in love with them. And that's really where uh, photography really kicked off for me. Because before then, I was just <laughs> taking lots of stuff for fun and things. And But then when I saw those pictures, I, I kind of started thinking more differently about photos. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me, I, I took a, uh, in my general ed portion of my college uh, career, uh, uh, one of the classes I took was an art appreciation class, and uh, we had to pick our fa- pick a, a, an artist and do a big uh, kind of uh, and pick one of their pieces and do a big uh, like a big write up, a big report on it. And uh, uh, that class was the first time that I realized that uh, strange thing. I guess I was very naive to art in general, but first time I realized that photography was actually considered an art form. I don't know yeah. why I hadn't really been exposed to that before. And I found like I think I did a. Uh, uh, I think mine was on Ansel Adams, like the, what is it, the moonrise over, uh, whatever, right. what, yeah, whatever that, that, that famous, uh, that photo. But, and I remember kind of feeling the same way, like, um, 
uh, I never really saw photography as art. I didn't really know that it could be labeled that, but that yes. piece uh, really did move me, and and it did kind of open up a whole door uh, to uh, seeing photography in a different light for sure. Yeah. Cool. Did you? I uh, said so, now you could. You said you were sixteen, and you you called school college. So is it's like high yeah. school girls? Do y'all call it high school college? It's weird. Any other Brits <laughs> will know. Like so, when you when you're sixteen, you finish something called your GCSEs. And you can either go into something called sixth form, which is like when you stay in your school and do the, the 16 to 18 years, it's called sixth form. Or you can leave and go to college and do your 16 to 18 there, your A-levels there, or like a, a B-tech or something like that is what we'd call. So I chose to leave and go to a college to, to do the last two years because mm. some, some of the colleges might have more like, tech tech advanced stuff or like um you know photography and art and stuff like that like my school that i was going to didn't really have like an art program thing so mm -hmm. i wanted to go to college so i could do the, the photography thing because i was obviously already so good at photography having had a dslr for three years <laughs> i had to go and you know show off to all the kids there that knew nothing so. <laughs> so once the class uh, progressed a little bit, did you uh, get humbled any, or was you still uh, cocky through the entire, the no, entire class? No, <laughs> it's an interesting story. I think, I think I did get humbled in a totally different way because I kind of went into it thinking I was just going to smash it and do really well at the class. But I ended up just getting so obsessed with these with these photographers that I didn't really, I hadn't known before these different ways of shooting like I was just I just didn't understand why I like these photos so much mm. and we were meant to like take these photos we were meant to like compare our photographs against theirs like pick photographers that we liked and kind of shoot in a similar vein and write about theirs and write about ours but I really struggled with it I really struggled with like writing about theirs I couldn't put my finger on why it was it was tough for me to write about their work and understand it and I think that's what was interesting for me. And I, I was just kind of a bad kid. Maybe that was like a, a bad excuse. I just didn't really, didn't really try very hard, didn't do as much. A lot of people, you know, in the class, they were they really rewarded just doing a lot, a lot of work and taking loads and loads of pictures and sticking them down and stuff like that. And I was, I, again, I thought I was a bit too good for it. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do loads of pictures. I'm just going to do a select few because I really wanted to like curate them and not stick loads and loads down like we we had these books where we'd have to print pictures and stick them all down i ended up spending most of the time doing prints in the dark room which i really liked and my teacher would kind of be like yeah look you need to really just put some more stuff in your workbook and do some more writing and i was like ah, i didn't really want to do that i thought i was above <laughs> it again i was like well my the genius of my photography will be realized when i get out of here so you, you'll be the laughing stock <laughs> so not quite what happened just ended up with a d in the end of two years of work just getting the d so, so well i mean uh, your 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 uh uh photography class uh kind of went a little bit like mine I, I mean i got kicked out of the dark room for not doing my work so uh yeah i, I got kicked off the photography staff so uh so <laughs> uh so we got a bunch of um we got a bunch of below average students here on the podcast tonight so this yeah. should, be, should be proud <laughs> below average and proud <laughs> right, right. So, um, so how long has it been that you've? Uh, do you still uh, are you still kind of shooting digital and film, or have you went entirely one uh, to film, or where are you at with that? Right. Yeah. So that's. Um, so I did after that. I kind of I went to do um, um, 
graphic design illustration in college so you know from 18 to 20 24 22 or whatever it is and i did that because i was like i'm not going to shoot photos in college because it's you know it's a bad degree or whatever so i ended up doing something i wasn't good at and didn't like and dropping out so (laughs) i ended up doing that i moved here and then um i got back into photography maybe about three years ago I did buy a digital camera and I was shooting with that and then like I tried again I just remembered film a little bit and I think it was the time when film was getting really popular on like Instagram and stuff and I was seeing a lot more about it and I was like oh there's mm-hmm. something going on here so I I had this old film body still and I I I bought one no I had I had Canon lenses and I bought a film body to shoot with it and then I just that was it I just got hooked and now I'm pretty much shooting exclusively film I haven't touched the digital camera in a long time so oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Dave, did you uh, did you ever fail any photography classes or get kicked out of any uh, uh, your uh, your book darkroom staff or anything like that? Did you? Did, no, you no, I'm not a uh, I'm not a child prodigy like Doogie Howser here that went to college at 16. <laughs> so, no, yeah, I couldn't even yeah, get yeah, into the place. Like, okay, so no <laughs> prodigy. <laughs> All right, so. Um, Sam, anything else you want to go in about uh, about your kind of return to film or anything, uh, or do you want to uh, move on to our weeks? Anything, anything else? Yeah, um, with the return to film, I think. Um, yeah, I, I I know it was it was a very slippery slope for me on the return. So it started out, I just had this body and I put a lens on it and I was shooting around. I sent it off to the lab to get developed and scanned and stuff like that. Day one, I got the scans back and I was like, "Nah, I can't pay for this. I'm going to do this for long." So I bought a scanner and then, mm. you know, I was like, oh, look into developing and stuff. And now I develop every single thing I shoot myself now. So mm-hmm. it's a slippery slope. <laughs> I think that's the only thing. But a very happy slippery slope. Happy for me. Not so happy for my, my husband in our one bedroom apartment where I'm <laughs> developing right. everything myself and have a huge scanner. And yeah, and all these cameras. So that's the only thing. Just It's a slippery slope if you get into it. Right, right. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, I went out and did some shooting today, and so I had cameras all over the living room, and then we, uh, we had this mattress, a new mattress delivered today. It's one of those mattresses in a box. Oh, you open yeah. the box, and the thing just expands. It's, it's like magic or something. <sighs> I but, uh, but <laughs> I will say, this mattress, it's, it feels like it feels like heaven because our mattress, our, our previous mattress was twenty two years old. So it was probably probably due, right? <laughs> probably due for a new one, but well, yeah, probably maybe. <laughs> so, so, uh, so we um, uh, were trying to move this new mattress in, which those boxes were surprisingly heavy, and uh, just about killed myself tripping over some cameras left on the floor. So, uh, but uh, so it could have uh, this hobby could have killed me today. But uh, but uh, so yeah. But uh, the uh, um, the what was the question I was going to go with on this um, with the uh, uh, oh yeah so. Uh, you know, you were talking about your your class at work and having to. Uh, th- th- to me, that's a that's a hard assignment, man. To like, oh hey, here's a uh, pick one of these masters of photography and then right. try to emulate them and compare yourself to them. That's 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 yeah. that's immediately try to very very. Uh, it's very. Uh, you almost have to be a little arrogant to even think you could even even come close to matching it, right? So right, yeah, <laughs> right. and I don't think it's about you know nobody was obviously going to match it, but just the idea of trying to do that and trying to go out and try and emulate these. But yeah, it's so much to put on your own shoulders and even to write about yourself in the same vein. It's like if people will say that my work, like compare, compare it to a famous photographer, like that's an honor. You can say like, oh, 
I can see your work is inspired by this person. Like to me, if somebody says that, that's like a, a huge, huge compliment. So right, right, yeah. One of the most painful yeah. things I've, I've ever had to do was uh, uh, there. I was doing an art show in this uh, pretty fancy uh, like martini bar, and we were gonna have an, it was an actual art show where we had an open and a closing and and uh, an, an actual you know opening where you you know and I so I had to wear like a black turtleneck and no I didn't, I didn't say <laughs> that. <laughs> but, Steve Jobs. But, <laughs> so but uh what i did do i i had to uh write we all had to write there was like four artists in this particular art show and uh, i had to write an artist statement and that was probably the most painful thing i've ever done in my life to yeah. try to it, i mean it's so it just there's absolutely no way you could do it without it sounding extremely pretentious you know and it's yeah. just uh it's it's one of the it really was one of the most painful things i've ever had to write but <laughs> to write about yeah. your write about your work yeah. you know <laughs> it's it's tough in that sense because you know you you will get a lot of stick for for being kind of sounded pretentious about your work and stuff like that but i i almost think that we kind of have to drop some of that stuff so, at some point like it's okay to talk about your work in a deeper way and compare it to things and say how it makes you feel and stuff and you know what you're trying to represent it's kind of brutal to do it i get it like it's mm -hmm. like oh i don't want to sound like this or anything like that but like if that's really mm -hmm. like what you put into it like i think that's important and it's kind of like it's tough to be like to talk about it like that because you know you don't want to you don't want to sound self-righteous or try and present yourself in a certain way that you think that your work is mm -hmm. presented like this but i think it is okay to like go into it a little bit and try and give people some context on like why you even took the pictures right right I mean, it's well it's, it's yeah i think it's hard to get the tone right too it, did you write it in the first person or third person or do you remember how you wrote it mm. like, oh gosh i think i wrote it like uh, Mike Gutterman is a Louisville-based photographer who <laughs> took up photography yeah. when he was having uh, frustrations with his uh, music endeavors and uh, needed another artistic expression and uh, something, something along those lines. Yeah, like I wrote it like that, somebody else was writing about me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, and it was. Uh, but I've also had the same thing in music where. Uh, you know, just trying to describe your own work, but like, you know, you'll have people like, oh, you, you play in a band, like, what's the name of your band? And you tell them, and then, uh, and then they're like, well, what kind of music you play? And it's always impossible to s explain what, what your music sounds like or whatever. And it's, it's right. equally as hard to explain, you know, what your photography, uh, or what right. kind of direction you're going with your photography or what, or what kind of, what kind of, uh, meaning, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of, uh, substance are you bringing to the table right. with this, with these images? Right. You know, I just took it because I, yeah. I thought that I thought I thought it looked cool, you know. But well, you, so. you ask somebody else to describe it. That's a good way of doing it. Because my husband will say he just takes pictures of walls and garbage cans and stuff like that. Like you know, <laughs> but it, see how somebody else describes it and then just go with that. Be like, well, ask yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think that's that's probably a good good plan. Depressing yeah, pictures is what he'd say. It's just like they're just really kind of like nothing and depressing. I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's what you get from it, you know. Every right. reaction to the art is valid. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think uh, the uh, Mike uh, takes a lot of sign uh, pictures of old signs and fire escapes, and uh, <laughs> and and then when he does an art when he does an art show that people want Louisville photos, he completely sells out and just does Louisville landmarks. So yeah, that's a that's pretty much my photography in a nutshell. So whatever. <laughs> so, there you but, go. Uh, all right. Well, um, 
let's go ahead and uh, get into uh, into the first segment. So let's get into what we've been up to this week or just kind of any anytime recently for you guys. But uh, we usually start with Andre, but uh, he's not here. So we'll start with the, the Coco captain, Dave. So, uh, Dave, what have you been up to in the last week or so in your photography? What's yeah, been going you know, on? I actually had a good week. Um, I went to a beers and watches event. Uh, just kidding. Uh, sorry, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what did I do? No, I actually, uh, Monday, I developed some C41 uh, with the Cinestol uh, C41 kit, and I uh, scanned those rolls in on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, I shot a video about a disposable camera that I wanted to give away from Matt Evans, uh, so that was fun, and then I edited that video and uploaded it on uh, Friday morning to YouTube, got that done. Uh, Friday afternoon, I actually had to drive to Pittsburgh. I had a seminar I had to go to this weekend, and it's about a three-hour drive from uh, Ohio, where I live, so uh, I loaded a bag of cameras uh, for the trip, and um, over the weekend, I shot a roll of Ilford XP2. Uh, that's that's one of the stocks that I know Mac McDonald has shot a ton of in the past. Yeah, that's the C41, But I ran a roll of that right? through, uh, yeah, C41 black and white, and uh, yep. I've, I've had like a couple of rolls. I mean, I like it, so I shot a roll of that through my uh, old brownie Hawkeye, and that was fun, mm-hmm. and uh, shot a roll of double X with my uh, Yashica t4 super and then, then um let's see oh i did a roll of uh, revelog volvox that's the one that has those weird green spots i haven't tried it yet so i'm interested in see how that turns out i shot a roll of that through my minolta afc and did you do um, that for a possible video in the future or is that was was it definitely yeah, yeah 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 i i'm gonna probably make a video out of it you know depending on how the shots turn well actually even if they turn out really bad i'm gonna still gonna do a video on it uh, and try to talk <laughs> right. people out of buying it <laughs> uh, I did a video of uh, uh, Texture. They've got another film, uh, Texture, I did, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago. And that, and that was kind of fun, too. Uh, and then I also shot or started to shoot a roll through a couple of um, cheap plastic, oh, kind of those fake panoramic cameras. You know, they just do like a crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I plan on doing another uh, one of those plastic, craptastic camera challenges uh, video, I too. Love so. I love those. Yeah, yeah. Th- and those are fun, too. You know, you, you take this 90-cent camera from the thrift store and just you know see what you can get out of it so uh i'm gonna upload that probably at some point in the near future so yeah it's pretty good week actually that's awesome and just i know we'll say it at the end but your your youtube channel is the old camera guy right the old camera guy yep that's right all right uh is that pretty much your week dave that was it sounds good man I, i've got several of those uh uh, I actually have, let's see, I think one of my, yeah, I think of my PZ1P, uh, my, my super whiz bang plastic, fantastic 1990s, like pro body Pentax, uh, actually does have a panoramic feature on it. Uh, that, that stupid little yeah. thing you slide and it, it just puts, uh, you know, just the little gates over your film plane or whatever, uh, for like a kind of a fake panoramic. I, I've never really, I, I think I've, I experimented with those quite a bit in the nineties when I was in my, uh, first phase of the APS, uh, revolution. And, uh, cause <laughs> yep. back then all the, all the APS cameras had that, you know, as, as one they of the all do it, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I did a lot of it then, but I haven't actually done it on like 35 millimeter. And uh, uh, someone posted some photos. Uh, gosh, I don't know who it was. Uh, but there's this there's this little plastic camera. Shoot, I don't know what I got it saved on my eBay saved searches or uh, I got one saved. I might actually buy soon, but it's a little cheap plastic one. But 
you can actually flip the lens in it like you can like a, a, a brownie Ooh. hawkeye like a so brownie. it's like yeah, a, yeah. nice yeah so, so it's like a panoramic uh 35 millimeter plastic you know like one of those 90 cents thrift store cameras but it only shoots a panoramic but you can easily flip the lens and get that weird blurry swirliness that the brownie hawkeye does yeah. on it and that, uh, that super uh, cool. so yeah yeah so i think i'm gonna pick it's like it's like less than 10 bucks or something like that Do it and uh yeah i think i'm gonna have to pick that up and uh let's yeah see, Pulling up eBay right now. Let's find out what this camera was. Where is it? Okay. Yeah, it's the Ansco. Uh, oh. What do call it? It's a panoramic uh, camera from Ansco. Uh, I don't know what, uh, what so they call I this have, thing. Actually, I have an Ansco called the Pix uh, Panorama. P-I-S. That's it. Pix that's, Panorama. that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, you can, got you can it. flip the actually one on of the ones I'm shooting right now, Mike. Oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about picking one up because hey, you yeah, can flip the lens on it. I'll flip it. That, that sounds like fun. That's a that'll be a blast. Yeah. 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 There's a there's actually a YouTube video that shows how to flip the lens on it too. So um, if you need any help with this, it, it it's it's it looks pretty easy, but there is a little bit of disassembly disassembly required. So, but nothing yeah. nothing too advanced. So, but yeah. yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay. Um, Sam, what have you uh, been up to uh, recently? Yeah. Um. Nothing crazy. Not tons of shooting, but like. Um, recently gotten well i guess this past year gotten ready into riding bikes somehow i think the longer you spend in seattle the more seattle your hobbies get so i think i'm on year four so bikes have come this year along with rock climbing so i was cycling around and uh, i just it, it's so much fun to ride a bike and take a camera with you like if people anybody here does ride bikes or listen to it or or you know has a bike like just go out on your bike with a camera sometimes it's so much fun like you just get further like you don't have to worry about walking as much and you just go to places you wouldn't usually go to so i've been doing that like i just i love taking my cameras everywhere so just mostly like from here to there a to b kind of running to get groceries and stuff and going to different going to work i ride my bike to work every day so i made a point to like take my camera with me and just just shoot on the fly like that so i've been shooting some Ectochrome again recently, man. It's it's such a good film. I didn't want to like it as much because I was like, damn, I don't want to get into doing E6 at home because <laughs> right. I, I want to develop everything at home because I'm just I'm just anal about it now. But um, I was like, man, it can't be that good. I don't want to shoot slides that much. It's an extra whole all these new chemicals I got to get. But mm. when you just see the film when you develop it, and you get it. It it just looks so amazing. So uh, I can't wait. I've, I've, yeah. I've got about five rows of it shot at this point and I'm waiting to get up to like, I have this magic number. I want to get 15 rows of slide film shot nice. uh, and then just mix mm -hmm. the kit up and just do all 15 in one weekend. So I can just kind of use all the chemicals up in one, one yeah. shot and not have to worry about it going yeah. bad. Cause I know it's, the E6 goes bad a little quicker. So yeah, it's definitely good to do that because I, you know, I, the first time I ever developed it myself, I used it like C41 chems and came back to it like three months later. And it was like, yeah, it's probably not a good idea with the E6 chemicals. A lot of people have had success with that. But like for me, it didn't work very well. So I'm going to do the same because I ended up spending a lot of money just on on using like want a kit to just develop two rolls so yeah yeah because it's because yeah. the kits are like 30 bucks and then mm. of course you're talking about the you know the the ectochrome is you know 10 11 bucks a roll man you might yeah. as well you want to make sure those chemicals Definitely. are good to, when you're de developing film that's that expensive you know so yeah but the uh, damn film just makes it worth it though when you shoot the ectochrome and you see the slides from it like man it's it's such an enjoyable nice film so oh, i can't yeah. wait 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that in 120 so much. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I know everybody's talking about that a lot. Like, yeah, it's a a big deal. But like with the resolution you get it from it at 35 with a good scan, I can't imagine how it's going to be in medium format. So, oh, it's going to look like it's going to look it's going to look magical. So it's going to look like yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, awesome. Pretty much my week, just riding around, shooting. Haven't done any developing or scanning really, but like, um, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying the autumn colors. The plan is to get out with the four by five camera and shoot some shoot some slides with that. I actually have an insane stash of like four by five slides that I lucked into like about a year ago now. This old oh, guy wow. selling them like. Mm. I have probably have about a thousand sheets of four by five slide film wow. that I got wow. like two hundred dollars. I'll post a picture of it. If people are interested. It it was the most ridiculous film haul ever, and I was like, <laughs> I have to buy a four by five camera now. And I shot some of it, but like, so I have a lot of it. And my idea was like, when the autumn colors come, I'm gonna go and shoot the trees with all this old slide film. So mm-hmm. that's gonna be my nice. plan in the coming weeks. How how expired was it? Um, it, it varies some eighties, nineties, yeah. and then some like two thousands. Like, but he assured me it was all kept in deep freeze. So, okay. and and I've shot some. There was a couple of rolls of one twenty thrown in it. Some Astia, some Fuji Astia, which I developed, and that came out really like perfect, pretty much. A oh. tiny bit of tint to it, but nothing really too bad. So I'm hoping that the slide is fine. So I've got to I've got to get on shooting that because I have some friends that are roasting me about having all this film and hoarding it and not shooting it. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, uh, but do you, do you, some of the older, maybe some of the older stuff. You, you have you thought about cross processing any of it just because since, since the, there might be color shifts anyway? Or is that is, yeah. or are you gonna pretty much do E six on all of it? I was gonna do E six because it seemed kind of fresh. I should try cross processing it, but also I've had. You know, if you cross-process slide, people get really upset. That really upsets <laughs> people. So I almost feel like the pressure not to do that. And um, <laughs> if I'm going through the effort anyways, then, yeah. I was thinking of sending it out, because 4x5 is a totally different bag of developing with it. I have this tank called this Combi Plan tank, and it mm. works really well. But the, the ideal amount of chemicals that you want for it is just over a liter. So Wow. It's like mm. a bit awkward when you buy in a kit because you want just a bit more than a liter. So it's fine with black and white, but with C4, I have successfully developed C41 with it. So slides is the next endeavor. But I, you know, you want to wait until you develop, till you shot quite a lot of it and do it in a big batch is the plan. So have you ever thought about getting, uh, what is it, the, is it the Stearman Press? SP four, four four five or something like that or whatever that one's called. It's kind of that, a that similar looks... thing. Oh yeah, okay. If you look it up, the it's called a Camby plan or a Combi plan. It's like an old okay. thing. It has kind of they they sit vertical. You slide them in. I think one mm. of the guys from the um, large format photography podcast uses them. I forget which one it is. And mm. but they're, they're plastic and they they kind of slide in and you have this thing that you press down. It's they're really neat. They're really good, but um, mm-hmm. they take just over a liter to to completely cover the negative. If you slush it around a little bit, you can get it to cover it. And I've managed to do it with with a kit before, so probably just go. Okay, because 
because I know the I think the the Stearman one I, I believe is is it's claim to fame is it uses a, a lot less chemicals I think so maybe that mm-hmm. uh, I think it is kind of the the benefit of it but yeah right. Uh, all right well uh, is that pretty much your week Sam or yeah anything that's, else? that's it that's my week awesome awesome uh, well uh, my week uh, pretty much today uh, I actually made a point of getting up early on a Monday for once and. Uh, Kids were in school, so uh, went out for about three hours and uh, uh, kind of went to the like the kind of the hip neighborhood of, of Louisville, Kentucky. It's an area called the Highlands. Uh, I took Andre uh, there when we were out uh, when he was in town. Uh, I've, I've shot that area a whole lot of times, but it's one of those areas that like you can kind of keep going back to it and you still keep seeing the different things. As many times as I shot that area, I can still go back and find things I didn't see before or, or the lights different or whatever. So I, it seems like one of those places that I keep hitting thinking I'm going to like when I was driving there today, I thought, man, I've overshot this area so much. I'm not going to find anything, but I ended up like finishing. Well, I finished the two roles that I had in cameras uh, from when Matt Melcher was in town and uh, me, him mm-hmm. and John Gregory went on a photo walk. I had, uh, about you know a quarter of a row to finish in two of those. Uh, so I finished that in my my Leica R8 and my uh, my <laughs> my uh, Pentax uh, Spotmatic working man's camera. Nice. Uh, so I uh, finally finished uh, my uh, my first row out of both those cameras. So looking forward to seeing the results out of that. And then I brought my Hoga. Shot two rows through a Hoga, and I shot a row of uh, <laughs> shot a row through the the Kodak Brownie Hawkeye with the flip lens, and and I decided, uh, you know, I, I need to shoot more slide film because I'm trying to get up to that 15 row magic uh, uh, number to to mix up my kit and, and develop all this stuff. But uh, so I thought, you know, w- what makes more sense with a Brownie Hawkeye with a flip lens, and then to throw a an expired roll of uh, Fuji uh, Velvia 100 in there? That, that just seems like that's just going to come out just fantastic, right? <laughs> seems like I, yeah, I, man. Just, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Like that, no that, that, what could possibly go wrong right so, <laughs> but, but uh so i uh, shot that it's, it's actually the first time i've ever shot a roll of velvia and i know it's uh this is the 100 speed and i got this from that kind of that fuji love box that uh brandon remler who works for fuji sent me yeah. and it was expired i think it was oh 10 about 10 15 years expired maybe and i figured well the brownie hawkeye uh, you know, I can't really do anything with exposure on that, so we'll just see how it comes out. So uh, uh, maybe the maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But uh, it was uh, awfully fun to uh, to go around. I love shooting with that camera. It's uh, and you get a lot of uh, there's a lot of people on the sidewalks uh, of this area today because uh, it was just a beautiful fall day today. Like just like mm. perfect weather, like 70 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, mm. uh, so complete nice. uh, nothing but sun. But uh, the only the, the only thing that kind of bummed me out is there was no. No puffy white clouds, just a, like a clear blue sky. But uh, the things I was shooting didn't really have much sky in them, so wasn't too worried about about that particular situation. But uh, uh, but yeah, it was just a, a lot of fun to come home and uh, with about I don't know, I think I had finished five rolls uh, today. So uh, the the developing backlog is starting to starting to starting to add up here a little bit. But uh, but yeah, it was a lot a lot of fun. I really it's you know sometimes. Just getting there is just something about it, and you get out by yourself. I don't know if you guys feel like this. But when I go out to shoot, like I have a little bit of this. Um, 
uh, I'm a little, I don't know what it like nervousness about when I go out and shoot, mm. like people are going to look at me weird. Like I'm going to be yeah. like with my cameras yeah. if people are looking at me. Why is this guy taking a picture of that? That looks stupid. Why is he doing that? Like, yeah, I, 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 I get in my own head a little bit. I get a little, I get sort of like yeah. anxious about it for some reason. And then yeah. once I get into the mode and just start shooting and, and, and stop giving a shit, then it just seems to start flowing. And, uh, so I, right. I didn't get to that moment, but like, I, I don't know if you guys feel that way. I mean, it just, it, it yeah, happens yeah, to me every you know, time. I think people look at me weird, but I don't think it's the camera, though. That's that's my problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing, man. Like, especially with what I want to shoot, like I end up going down side streets and stuff and walk in mm-hmm. places like stuff will catch my eye. I'm like, should I already walk down there? But then when I'm in the photo mood, I'm like, I've got to go. Like, there's no other option. So when you right, get man. in the zone a little bit, you're like, I mean, obviously, I'm going to go and take that picture like. There's nothing else yep. sounds like a good idea right now. When you see the thing, you just, you've got to go do it. It's different yeah. when there's like people like, you know, in a big city and stuff and, you know, you're trying to shoot street or something like that. But I end up shooting like random. I'm just more worried that someone's going to come out and be like, why are you taking a picture of my property or something like that? Like that's Right, right. Yeah, there, there's. Uh, I've kind of uh, been uh, in a in a mode for the last several years of like trying to document a lot of uh, uh, old old signage in Louisville, old businesses, mm. things that may not be there in 10 years or whatever, because you never know how, when the, what will happen to these places. But there's this kind of legendary uh, restaurant uh, in that area. And uh, it's kind of known for, I think at one time, like there was like the mob used to eat there and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's like got that kind Ooh. of seedy history behind it, you know? And uh, mm. <laughs> so I, I don't have any photos of this place. So I had a, a really nice shot lined up uh, with the Leica, and uh, and I was, I was just getting ready to get it focused and, and take the picture. I had it like just the composition I wanted. It kind of had the like this cool old sign that it has, and and kind of had a little bit of the building in it. And this lady walks right into my shot and like stands there and just starts playing on her phone. I'm like, are you are you? I mean, I don't want a photo of you. Like maybe a real street photographer would be like, oh, this is perfect. You know, but I, I, I'm always like trying to avoid people in my images for, for whatever reason. But particularly the yeah. shot, I didn't want her in the image. And she just stands there and starts playing on her phone. I was like, well, fuck this, man. I guess I'm going to have to. And she, and she just kept standing there, kept standing there. And she clearly saw she was in my shot. So I just yeah. walked on and um, and and went went further down the road and took some more photos. Like, well, by the time I come back. Uh, she'll be gone. I come back. It's probably 15 minutes later. That lady is still standing there. And I'm like, are you oh, kidding me? Like, what? Like, and, and the whole time just scrolling on her phone, playing on her phone. I'm like, um, and so I, I was getting ready to get, I'm starting to get really pissed off about it. Like, what are the odds of her standing right in my shot for this, this damn long? And then I looked right in front of her and there was like a bus stop sign there. She was just waiting for the bus. <laughs> 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 oh no! So, uh, I was kind of bitching, bitching about it. I was like, "Well, all right, well, you know, so uh, can't really give her, can't give her too much grief." So, uh, and at that point, I had to get back and pick up one of my kids from an after-school activity. So, I'll just have to go back and get that shot some other time. I, I know, I know, I, I know the composition, and it's that place is still there. It's been there for a long, long time. I, I can go back and get it some other time, but I, I wasn't. But like, it, it, but driving home the whole time, driving home, I was like, man. Out of all the shots I took today, that was the one I think I really, really was going to like, and, uh, and so it was just kind of ate at me. So you're you're right when you talk about like leaving something. If you see something and, and you don't take a photo of it, it's it it can kind of kind of gnaw at you a little bit afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I gotta applaud you on how actually British that is to do that. You know, I think a, <laughs> an American person would go over to the lady and be like, "Hey, look, lady, like I need this picture right now. You need to move." But you see me, I'm like. 
that that's a public confrontation with somebody I don't know. There's nothing worse or more scary to a British person than confronting somebody you don't know. So, you know, I I guess maybe you got some some history in you that's some British. So maybe so, or maybe I was just listening to the Sunny Sixteen podcast where they were talking about street photography and they all acted like it was a uh, uh, taking and you taking your life in your hands just to go out and take photos. <laughs> yes, we are like that. But that's the thing. I should really use it to advantage uh, here. You know, if I'm somewhere where I shouldn't be taking pictures and somebody's like, what are you doing? I can just play the dumb card. Like, I'm just a tourist. You know, I'm here with my family. I'm from London. I'm not from London, but, you know, that's the only place they know. So I'm from London. Well, plus you have that. You have you you have the accent on your side, man. People are yeah, yeah. the accent immediately. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess. Whereas so. me, when I when I come up with my with my gravelly voice, I'm like, hey lady, you got to get out of my shot. You know, she's gonna be like, what the hell is this guy? What's this creeper? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I don't know. So, but yeah, I was just very happy to get out. And that's, I'm trying to make that a, a Monday tradition uh, to kind of get up early while the kids are in school, not really miss any family time and just go out in a couple hours and, and shoot some photos and try to get through this damn film stash that I've accumulated over the last couple of years. It's kind of a, a little bit ridiculous, but so uh, yeah, kind of hope, hope, hoping to make that a, a trend. So, and uh, I, so are the, are the leaves turning in your all's areas? Ours, ours are just now barely starting to turn. So how are you guys doing with yeah. the autumn? just start we had a weird i mean it's been like it was 90 degrees in october like the first week yeah. of october is like 95 degrees right so right. that kind of messed everything up so we're not quite there yet but probably within the next week it's gonna start turning yeah it got yeah. cold here really quick on the on the west coast well up in the pacific northwest it did like it was uh, i don't speak american so i'm not gonna say like fahrenheit i would <laughs> say celsius but it's gonna confuse people but it's just say like, it got quite close to freezing like the past like three weeks ago it was like oh, wow. knocking around at freezing in the morning which is kind of a surprise mm-hmm. so the leaves are turning kind of quick so yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we're starting to see colors now i, I think by next weekend it's going to look a, a whole lot better and uh there's a there's a forest uh here um like a big uh park in uh called bernheim forest uh here in uh, it's kind of uh, it's actually kind of close to bardstown kentucky not far from me so there's actually also a lot of good bourbon distilleries in bardstown it would be nice to make a day out of it go to bardstown and this forest but they have these things um these gigantic statues uh called i don't forget what they're calling them like forest giants or whatever and they're like made out of they're made out of like wood like these gigantic wood creatures uh, dispersed mm-hmm. all throughout the uh, uh, th- throughout the, the the park or whatever. So I've been meaning to go and photograph these things anyway. I mean, of course, everybody in Louisville has went and photographed them. So I'll be doing nothing that hasn't been done a million times before already because uh, they've been there uh, this uh, all summer long or whatever. So, uh, but I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit different with them. Put a little spin on it, you know. Shoot them with a Hoga and a and a the Brownie Hawkeye and try to get a little different shot than yeah. what everybody else is getting with these things. So, yeah, uh, kind of the brilliance cool. of those cameras. Yeah, the brilliance of, the, of those cameras is like the the unique look you get out of them is a little bit different than uh, the the million uh, digital SLR shots I've seen of these very same statues for the last uh, three or right. four months. So yeah, yeah, try to put a spin on it. So yeah, but uh, maybe I'd like to get there next weekend because I think the trees will start start looking good and yep. it might be uh, it might be a good ectochrome moment right so there you go but um yeah, sound yeah, like they'd be interesting a, pinhole arc. sorry what, oh yeah what's that i said they sound like they'd be interesting on pinhole a lot of the pinhole Ooh, guys would say like yeah. you know i know you don't yeah, do tons of it cool. but like big statues that are there and like you know pinhole is a really good perspective on something stationary like that 
Yeah, good point. I might, yeah, definitely bring the pinho. Yeah, yeah the, the hoga awesome. pinho. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's pretty much our weeks, and we learned a little bit about Sam. So how about uh, we'll take a, a break and come back in the next segment. We have some questions to Sam from the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. So we'll get to those in the next segment. But uh, until then, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back, folks. All right, folks, we're back from the break, and uh, it's the second segment, so we usually uh, have the the fine members of the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group, you know, kind of come up with topics and questions to whatever guests we're having on uh, uh, this on, on whatever particular week, and they once again came through with some really good questions to Sam, so let's go ahead and jump into that. Dave, what's the uh, the first question from the, uh, the Facebook group? We're going to start with Matt Murray from Matt Loves Cameras Podcast, and if you haven't heard that one, uh, definitely give it a listen. It's a good podcast. He has a a lot of good topics, a lot of good reviews, and uh, all kinds of stuff. So definitely worth a listen. Matt's Absolutely. first question is, uh, how much did you pick your contacts T up for? And is it fun to use? Have you tried any other later model contacts cameras? And if so, how did it compare? Yeah, this is this is actually going to be a story that's going to make a lot of people quite upset at me, I think. <laughs> so I... Uh, <laughs> I, I was walking my dog one morning just in my area and somebody was doing a yard sale like um, across the street and I actually looked around at the camera, uh, the stuff that she had and I did find a camera but it wasn't, it wasn't the contact T. It was this, um, I think it was this APS camera. I'm not even kidding. I'm not just saying that. Cause I'm like, yeah. It was this old APS camera well, and I was like, uh, a, I don't. It is the hottest trend in film photography that's taken over by storm. So go ahead. But, uh, <laughs> so this is an old APS camera. I was like, no, I don't really want this. I think it's maybe a Minolta or something. I don't know if they made them, but it was a long time ago. Mm. Um, and uh, and I said, do you know, do you have any more like cameras or kind of thing? And she's like, oh, let me just go upstairs. And she pulls out this box, and I open the box, and there's a bunch of like filters in it, and I see this um, little pouch, this like you know, kind of a neck holder pouch thing, and it says contacts on it, and I'm like. Like I can feel my heart in my throat at that point because you know what it's like. And I so I open it up and I slide out this mint contact T with with the with the flash attachment, everything, the manual. It's it's mint. It's unbelievable. And and she sees my face as I slide this out. I'm I'm not a good like actor. I can't pull on like, oh, this is junk, you know, it's a piece of trash. Like, you don't want this thing, it's worth two dollars. Just let let me have it. Like I like gasp. Obviously, she sees it on my face. She she like takes it out of my hand. She's like, "Oh, I need to do some more research on this." So you know, here's here's my number, and um, I'll text you. And I was like, "Okay, that's fine." 
So I gave my number and she texts me and she says, you know, she looked on eBay and it was going for about 500 or something like that. I'm like, I'm not really in the market to look for a new camera or anything. So I'm like, oh, it's fine. It, you can, I told her to take it to this, like a, a camera store nearby to get it mm-hmm. looked over and they, they'd tell her if it was like still working and stuff like that. I said, you know, I have mm-hmm. some batteries at home I could put in it and test to see if it works. And she's like, oh, I appreciate that. Like, you know, I'm going to look to sell it for about 500. And I said, that's fine. And but you know I, I didn't really want to buy it. It's thirty five mil camera, no electronic. Like wasn't in the market for it. But then a few months later, she actually texts me saying, "Look, I was trying to sell all my stuff because I'm moving to a uh, I'm moving to France. So if you just want this camera, you can come get it." And I'm like, "Wait, seriously? You want me to just have it?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna sell it. They they wouldn't give me a good quote at the place to look over it. So I don't know if it works or not. But you can come have it." And I was like, "Wow." What? So I came around wow. and she gives me the camera and I have a brand new Contax T. So, and of course it works perfectly, electronics up to date and stuff like it's a beautiful camera. So I lucked into that camera insanely, but I did give it a recommendation of go to this store. You know, I'm not going to try and haggle you down and like buy mm-hmm. it right away. So I think, it, you know, it was my good deed of not trying to, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. a, a better person than me, like somebody would have been like, they would have seen it and would have just been like, okay, I've just got to, you know, act like this is nothing, but I'm not very good at doing that. Not like I think I'm an amazing person or anything. I'm just a bad actor. Like if I would have thought about it more, like I would have been like, yeah, it's nothing. But I just saw it and I just gasped. So but yeah, wow. so she was nice enough to give it to me for free. I, That's yeah. awesome. So I got the camera and it works perfectly. It's and um, so the other question was, is it fun to use? Yes, yep. it's it's really fun to use actually because you know it's like it's it's the size of a compact point and shoot like the Yashikas and stuff with an amazing amazing lens like mm. tack sharp. But I just love the fact that I can choose the focus on it. Like, that's important to me. I can choose the aperture and the focus. So, like, just having Mm -hmm. that little bit of, like, uh, control over the camera is really, really good. Like, you know, you can can pre-focus stuff. And, you know, if you want to be a bit slow with it, you can. If you want to be a bit slow with just a pure point and shoot, then it can be a bit tough because, you know, you don't really know what it's going to pick the focus for. But for this one, the, the viewfinder is great on it. The flash attachment is really fun. And yeah, I just I just worry, though, because even though I got it for free, I just baby the thing a little bit because oh, sure. I know how mm-hmm. much they're worth. And I'm like, oh, I don't sure. really want to just take it around. But it, it's so small. It's it's unbelievably small. The, the only thing that I'd say compared to other point and shoots that I've used is that the, the flap that you have to pull down to get the lens out can be a little tough sometimes. So it's not the mm. best like quick pull it out as quick as you can and snap because, mm. you know, mm. like a Yashica or something, you just flick it on or like any other point and shoot, it's ready as soon as you pull it out. But with this one, right. you kind of have to peel the, peel the, the door down to, uh, to get it ready. So... Well, you know, it's I, I think in a way that's good. Yeah, if you want to slow down like Michael Bartosik, it's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but there it the, is. the lens for the size of it is it makes it all worth it in that sense. And you know, you get to choose your your ISO as well. So yeah, yeah. But you are Uh-oh. at the the mercy of the meter. So, but you can. It has this little button on the back where you can overexpose the meter like a third, I think. So. 
It has oh, in nice. manual, it says like a foreground mode. So if you're taking a picture of a person with a bright background, you, you hold this button so that it will uh, give it a bit more... Just like speed. exposure compensation. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. cool. But, but is, only is that the only context? Do you have other context cameras? Is that the only one you have? Or yeah, that's the only one I have. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy really another context camera. Like I said, I don't. I I like using thirty-five mil cameras, but the 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 high-end point-and-shoot thing isn't really my deal. So I I right. would never really have bought that camera unless it was for the circumstance. So I haven't used any other ones. Maybe the Contact Six Four Five, but. You know, it, it, again, that's a really expensive camera, and it's a totally different thing, medium format. The Contax T2 and T3, yeah. not really my kind of camera. I'm happy to right. shoot in. Like a, you know, I have this Nikon Fun Touch, which I absolutely love, which was two bucks from a thrift store. So that's my, more my kind of point and shoot. So nah, I don't I have any contacts. Sorry, you just really outraged all the uh, all the uh, people looking for contacts, uh, point and shoots. That yeah, yeah, you know, I like this little Nikon, and I mean, it's not right. really my bag. Yeah, like, <laughs> I no, but I free, get it. You know? Like, <laughs> I have people that buy them. Like, the lenses are unbelievable on them because it, it it it's a Zeiss lens, right? I right. believe. So mm-hmm. I have I have a Zeiss two point eight lens for my Voigtlander Besser. So it's a M mount. Zeiss lens and that thing is insanely sharp comparable to the contacts maybe so I mean I get it for the lenses buy a contacts T2 buy a T3 it's just I mean the electronics just worry me a bit but th- sure. that being said I have a Mamiya 7 and I, I believe that, that it's electronic as well so I spent too much too much money on that thing so I mean, buy what you want, dude. Buy a Contacts T3 if you want. Yeah. Right, right. You know, it's so, funny. I, I inherited uh, some uh, of my grandmother's uh, point-and-shoot cameras. And, of course, uh, she was uh, not a wealthy person or whatever. So she bought, you know, run-of-the-mill, like, you know, little compact zoom cameras and stuff. And uh, I was thinking about it as I was looking at them, uh, the fact that, you know, you hear a lot. I've heard a lot of people in the last uh, decade or so, especially people questioning why I shoot film or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, the, the new digital cameras are so much better than film." I mean, I, I remember I used to shoot film, and like they were just the, the images were just so crappy, and like I don't know why why people still do it. And and I'm like, and I'm, but they're coming from uh, you know a situation where they were using like probably 90 percent of people in the 90s and early 2000s were using these kind of basically crappy you know point and shoot uh, yeah. all automatic cameras right. and i think that's a really bad representation of what film can do you know it's yep. like and uh right. and, and i think sometimes that uh that that has kind of i don't know sort of marred people's uh you know thoughts of what film actually looks like because that's right. a lot of people that's all they shot you yeah. know and right it's so. skewed their perspective yeah sure yeah 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 and but uh, which is kind of a shame because i'm like yeah film is way more capable than than you're giving it credit for like uh so um uh yeah, I just said, uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do with these things. I'll, I'll definitely shoot them because they were my grandmother's and I won't get rid of them. It's like it's, they, my family actually asked me, is there anything of hers that you want? Because they were trying to clear out her apartment or whatever. And uh, I was like, well, if she has any cameras, that, that would be the only thing that would really remind me of her because she always had a camera in her hand. And uh, she always took just tons of family photos at every gathering. So uh, that was the only thing that would really resonate with me. So, I mean, they mean something to me for that. Uh, I'll probably make them like car cameras or just something to to shoot yeah. 
yeah. every once in a while. I mean, I'm not going to get anything out of them anyway. Why not just keep them and, and shoot them? So, uh, yeah. but I, I do think it's um, it, it definitely kind of bums me out that so many people shot uh, so many of those point and shoot cameras and. You know, these companies were just trying to pack a ton of features in there to make it as easy as possible to take a right. photograph. But a lot of times they just skimped on the lenses, man. Like, you know, and, yeah. and that's, that's that was I think it's the big downfall of a lot of especially like a lot of the big super zoom ones. They get so slow with the apertures and stuff. And mm. and we almost had mm-hmm. to use flash on everything. And it just I, it's just a shame that more manufacturers didn't concentrate on maybe a little bit less features. And hey, let's just put a damn good lens in there. So, uh, yeah. All right. But the, the the funny thing is about that is like what those cameras can't do to what cameras can do now is like I have this um, Olympus uh, Infinity Zoom it is so it's like the stylus kind of you know those mm-hmm. really hyped up ones that people like but it's right, the Zoom yeah. version so it's cheap so I got it for like ten bucks yeah because so, you know nobody wants to zoom one but the thing is is weatherproof. So yes. I will take yeah. that thing anywhere and like I don't care like it's it's a 10 buck camera and there's something to having that just in my pocket especially on bike rides I'll slide it in my back pocket and like I'm not worried about that thing and I was even looking at like a small compact digital camera that shoots full frame that's going to be weatherproof I'm sure it's out there but I'm never going to have the same like um care like i'll care so much more about that expensive digital right. camera having it in my back pocket but I have, sure. if i have this small film olympus in my back pocket i'll take that thing everywhere and put it through its paces and and there's something to be said about having a camera that can just do that like rather than so that that's what's fun with with those little point and shoots even though the lenses aren't that great but you you really can like some of them have features like weatherproof that is even more than what yeah. a modern camera could do yeah, and I, and I do like shooting them because, I mean, I do have, I mean, I think probably the, the best, well, it sounds bad to say, but probably probably the the most formative years of my life and the best, most, uh, I guess, the, the biggest climax of my life was in the 90s because it was like my college years. I got engaged, got married, all that stuff. You know, it was a huge decade for me. And uh, I'm kind of uh, consider myself like the 90s was my decade, you know. And uh, but so and, and during that time, I wasn't really into photography. I took all like, you know, I, I used all those little compact cameras and blew all the photos out with flash and all that stuff. So there is a little bit of romance I have with that look. And so uh, I, sometimes I do like sh- shooting these little point and shoots and, and, you know, turn the flash on, let it do its thing and just let's go 1990s style, man. I, sometimes I do kind of actually like that aesthetic, you know, so, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, actually, there's one other uh, thing, topic about this that we kind of brought up. Uh, you know, in America, yard sales are huge. Yard sales and garage yeah. sales. Yeah. Uh, do they, I know, like in England, it's big on, like they call them boot sales or whatever. Boot like sales. Yeah, yeah. Car, car boot sales is what they Yeah. It's because everybody drives up into this big field and kind of opens up their car boot, and that's where they have all their wares and goods that they sell them out of in this giant field. Right. And I never used to go to many of those, but I'm sure, like you know, they'd be ripe for the picking with cameras. And I, I don't know if people have spoken about it in like Sunny Sixteen and other podcasts. I'm sure they have, but you know, people have cottoned on more to those. But there's definitely a different cultural thing with um, secondhand stores in the U.S. and the U.K. In in the stores specifically, like brick and mortar stores, we call them charity shops, mm-hmm. and um, they're mm-hmm. a lot smaller, local owned by by charities that often run by old ladies and stuff. 
but here in, in in like like Goodwill, so I actually worked at a Goodwill in Seattle for like um, six seven months when I first moved here, and yeah, they're, um, like a, they're like a huge was, corporation. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge yeah. operation, dude. It was the busiest, apparently the busiest Goodwill in the U.S. And the stuff that would come through every single day, the people sorting them in the back. It was insane. And they'd have all these people in the bank like looking up prices for things and stuff like that and going out there. Like stuff was not cheap in that goodwill. And there's a lot right. of people that earn a lot of money in the Seattle area. So they'll donate like really nice stuff. Like so when it goes out, like priced for what it's almost worth sometimes. And it wow. kind of that defeats the charm of some of the, you know, the thrift store hunting and stuff. I know if you go to like smaller towns in the US, the thrift stores can just can just be garbage but this oh, one yeah. is <laughs> this yeah. one is like there's good stuff in it but the cameras they they knew like they would put them in the they would charge them or, or they'll just sell them online if they think yeah. something's worth a lot of money they'll keep it in the back and just put it on the online thing so trying to find like nice cameras in this area especially with a lot of um you know quote unquote hipsters as people would right. say right. they, they right. say that mm-hmm. yeah i was right with them and you know with the film photography thing going big nowadays uh people people are looking for them all the time so yeah, yeah. They, you, i yeah, never I, really I, saw many dave i don't know if you you kind of you're kind of in a you're kind of in the same area of the united states i am but uh probably yeah. 2006 through maybe 2010 was the glory days of thrift stores around my area i don't know if it was the same for you but like same oh my god here. It, yeah and oh, now, it was, it was now not, nothing yeah What's that? it's dried up but uh, just, yeah. just to make everybody else, uh, all the other listeners mad, I mean, that was the time when, you know, I, I could go into a, a Volunteers of America store here, which is one of the big thrifts we have here. And I literally found, again, my Yashica T4 Super. It's 90 cents. Yeah. 90 cents. Oh, yeah. For yeah. This camera. Right. You know, they're selling hundreds now. Uh, and, yeah. you know, kind of like you, Sam, I sort, of, I sort of baby it when I use it, even though, you know, if I lose it, I'm out, what, 90 cents, right? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> back then, it was the same thing. Uh, Olympus, Stylus, Epic, you know, two bucks. No big deal. Uh-huh. It was, I mean, it was teeny. You just walk in there, and it was just like an embarrassment of riches. But yeah, not so these days. Yeah, I, I used to. I've said it many times on the podcast. Back during that time, uh, this one thrift store we had that was kind of a local thrift store and not not tied to any chains or anything like that. And uh, I would come out of there. I would actually turn cameras down. Like I, I would walk. Yeah. Out yeah. I'm by, yeah. I've got too many cameras. I, like I don't need. Yeah. I don't need all these. And like I would actually leave. And like nowadays, I walk into a thrift store. I don't care what the damn cameras. I'm buying it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm getting like, it, dude. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. This was like yep. so I ended up with this Nikon Fun Touch, and I was like, I just want a cheap thrift store camera. And I, I love the thing, but yeah, right. you just don't see them anymore. I do see some. I used to see some old SLRs in there actually that's why i'd see some like kind of like the pentax mm-hmm. ones and stuff like that but um not uh not really like good ones maybe not not even the pentax like the sears one and stuff like yeah the, the yeah. really cheap kind of crappy like knockoff ones um i do have a i'd pentax. still buy them i'd still yeah buy i know yeah. <laughs> i do have a pentax yeah. kx which i really like i know mike likes those those oh pentax. that's a nice camera because yeah. you know they're, they're the ones that don't have that name of the K1000 that people love so much. Like, right. this is a tip: if you want one of those old SLRs, don't search K1000. Search MX or KX. You know, Absolutely. you'll get a better deal mm-hmm. on those, and they're a bad camera. Just, just they're, get those. Like, actually, yeah, they're more actually like more like pro cameras. Actually, yeah. for you know, Pentax didn't consider uh, 
didn't really call them pro cameras, but they were like, and they had more features and they were built better. And, you know, I mean, I love a K1000 as much as anybody, but you know, I got my K1000 cheap. So, uh, but the KX and the MX are way better cameras and, and they don't get any, any of that like brand recognition as far as like, yeah, uh, that's yeah, they, crazy. yeah it's they're not it trendy. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, but all right, Dave. So, uh, what do we got next for the next up, next question? Next up, we have Neil Piper from the Soot and Whitewash podcast, and Neil asked, "Hi, a, Sam." He just, he just put a uh, he just put a, episode, a new episode up for the first time in a while, uh, like last yeah. week. So. Oh, yeah, cool. I haven't I haven't heard that one. Yeah, looking forward to that. It says, "Hi, Sam. Uh, your Instagram profile says you're an Englishman living in the states. You find living on that side of the pond has benefited your creativity with regards to your image making." Yeah, that's that's actually a really. Good question. I like that question a lot because I did want to talk about that a little bit. With with living in the U.S., like um, the topography here and stuff that I wanted to photograph was it kind of stemmed from when I first moved here. I felt like a lot of people from England that I knew, like they knew that I'm moving to the U.S. They kind of imagine like it's this big vacation and stuff like that. Like I'm living here. <laughs> like you know, it's like always oh, living in America now. Because we, we consume so much American media in the in the UK. I don't think people are almost aware of that. Like I grew up watching American cartoons, American movies, like everything. I always wonder like that. about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like I know about the yellow school buses and stuff like that. Like, you know, I watched all these these cliche high school movies and stuff like literally <laughs> consume the same cartoons and media so when when i move here and i'm living here day to day like it kind of almost inspired me a little bit to be like you know i want to document like some of the stuff that like i actually see and what i'm surrounded by and what like you know it is like to live in like america is like a citizen instead of like somebody visiting you know when we go on holiday to america we'll, we'll go to florida we'll go to new york maybe san francisco la or something and we see a touch mm -hmm. of it but as you know you guys have traveled around even traveling around in america it's totally different like living somewhere and visiting somewhere is a totally different thing so it's like oh you know, yeah for sure still still have to go to work in the morning and stuff you see the different things that you don't see and i, I kind of wanted to I was really interested in that and seeing this kind of stuff that like wasn't spoken about or shown or maybe represented in those movies and TV shows that I saw in the UK. So that that like um, was a lot of it, especially when I've been going back to visit, uh, going back to the Midwest to spend time with my uh, my husband's family because I lived in the Midwest for a little bit, but only mm -hmm. for about six months. And then we moved to Seattle. So going back there is like, <laughs> I'm just drawn to these vast flat landscapes of strip malls and kind of rundown buildings and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, I don't want to say it's depressing and bleak, but I, it is I a little know. bit. <laughs> it is a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, it the, is. Yeah. the people are nice, but I just couldn't believe when I moved here, the space. And like just the vastness of it and just, you know, driving from strip mall to strip mall and these big open <laughs> spaces and stuff. I just maybe it's more apparent in Detroit and, you know, Michigan and things. So, yeah, I think that yeah. was a big like influence in, in what I wanted to photograph because you have such an impression of what America is growing up in the UK, consuming all the media. And then when you move here, seeing what it's like is is almost kind of uh, just a totally different thing. 
I was mm-hmm. going to ask, like, what, what, like, what, when you when you moved here, uh, was there like certain stereotypes you had of America that got what? What that, name a, like a stereotype of America that got kind of dashed once you got here? I was like, oh, that's not like that at all. Like, like, was mm-hmm. there anything that kind of sticks out like that? That got dashed? Hmm. I don't know. I mean. It's funny because British people always say that Americans are loud. My parents growing up always <laughs> said that Americans are loud because if you go to like a touristy location, like especially London, you can hear the Americans because they're talking very loudly on the tube and stuff in London or just around like you, you hear them a mile off. But um, I don't know. I think people in England kind of viewed Americans as kind of brash maybe yeah maybe but it, it was different place to place because i i was a, i was a bit taken aback at how friendly people were in the midwest especially people would just talk yeah. to me out of nowhere and that took me aback a little bit because as you know like speaking to english people we, we don't speak to people in public that we don't know if you're in the supermarket or like i don't want to say grocery store sorry um <laughs> You know, you don't talk to people that you don't know. That's kind of like a big, not a no-no, but like it's almost a little uncomfortable. But here in the U.S., you can be like looking at a can of soup or something and (laughs) somebody will come up next to you and be like, that's a great can of soup, but I like this one. (laughs) And that that took me aback a little bit. People are really like open like that and willing to to engage with people they don't know. And, and, And that was really interesting for me. So I guess that's right. kind of a um, not an American stereotype, but um, yeah, a, a more a more willing openness than I expected. You know, the America gets a little bit of a, a reputation for being a certain way in the in the global media, especially from Europe. You know, people view Americans as this kind of way, and as an English person, we get grouped in with Americans as we're almost the America of Europe to some of the European people. right. Right. Like, you know, they kind of like the yeah. English people like, oh, they're pretty much like the America of Europe. But, you know, day to day, people to people like um, people are very friendly and open. And um, that was something that, like, you know, took me back a little bit moving here. So just as a as a, just for a little background here, what was it that brought you to America? Why did you why did right. you decide to, to move here? Yeah. So I'm married to an American. So my, my husband is American. Um, yeah. We met. We met um, when they were studying abroad in America. He was studying uh, in Loughborough, and uh, we met then. And then we did long distance for four years. Finally, got married in the UK uh, because it wasn't actually legal for us to get married in the US then. So we got married in the UK mm-hmm. and then moved right. over. And then actually, I think they legalized it in America like that year, like after. <laughs> of course, right? Bad yeah. Timing, right? I mean, it wasn't. It, you know, so that was a whole process. So. That that's why I moved over here. He was more settled into a job here than I was. I was just fresh out of college, so I decided to move over to the U.S. So, but that's why I'm here. And then he okay. got a job in um in Seattle. He lived in Michigan, but then he he got a job in Seattle. So then we moved here. That's kind of how we ended up in uh, the Pacific Northwest, which I I very much enjoy. It's it feels feels a lot more European than the Midwest did. I don't hate the Midwest right. or anything like that, but like you know, I don't really like driving as much, and you, you kind of have to drive everywhere when you live there, and it's just you know, it's kind of oh, a bit, yeah. I, mean, I love I like uh, riding my bike and trains and stuff, you know, <laughs> very European. Right, right, right. Awesome. Okay, well, let's uh, get on to the the next question, Dave. What we got next? Yeah, uh, Neil Piper has another question, and he says. 
I've noticed that it seems the majority of your work is in color. Uh, and he misspelled it because he put a U in the word color. So I just thought <laughs> nah, I'd throw that in there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's ca- aluminium. That's Kalar. And the whole Kalar. Thing. I think it's Kalar. Kalar, it. yes. Yeah. Your work is in oh, Kalar. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and he says, is this a conscious choice? Uh, if production of color film ceased, would you still be happy shooting just black and white? Uh, and if so, what would your film of choice be? Mm, yeah, I, I wanted to almost say this like in the comments right there when he said it. Because uh, I like the Matt Murray comment. It's saying, none of us color shooters would be happy shooting just black and white. And I thought that was funny because <laughs> right. I think maybe a lot of people do think that. But I almost think the limitation can be can be good for something. I do gravitate mm-hmm. to color a lot because I especially like um, the tonality it gives me. And I, I like to, um, with the type of photography that I do, I almost feel like when I'm shooting it in color, it is as anybody would see it. So I, I kind of like that. Because, you know, we all see, well, majority of people see in color in, unless right. you're, um, you're colorblind. So I kind of like, um, you know, neutral toned color as as a way to uh, express uh, my vision. Well, wow, that sounded like an artist statement there. There you go, Mike. That's an artist statement. So I, I do use a lot of color, but I almost think maybe it's easier. I don't know why I gravitate toward putting color in my camera, but it, it's not because I don't like black and white. I, I really love black and white. So, but... I guess it just depends what you what you're shooting and why. I I really go back and forth on this because I do really think that I would be super happy if I could only just shoot one film stock. And if I could mm-hmm. only shoot one film stock, which was the question, it would be HP five because it's objectively the best film ever made. And I'm going to say that right now. So all the Kodak fanboys. That's a, a very, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very British statement. But uh, that's you know, the point. A little, yeah. little nationalism going on here, but <laughs> you have to back the British film. You see, you got to back it. But <laughs> so if I could shoot one film, if I did have to shoot just black and white, it would be it would be HP five because yeah, I, um, the versatility of HP five. You can shoot at 100, 200, 400, and and the thing, and then. 3200 i'll say this now on record not like it'll matter but if you do want to shoot 3200 speed film buy hp5 shoot it at 3200 don't buy ilford delta 3200 horrible film don't shoot it if you actually want to shoot at 3200 iso i think hp5 developed in hc 110 at 3200 does a better job of exposing the scene in general than ilford delta does like that's my post. Or, or, or you could shoot a T Max P thirty two hundred or hey, or try. Actually, I will. I'll take up for the. Uh, I'll, I'll. I'll put a little nationalism in here. Uh, Triax uh, does all, all that pretty well too. So just yeah, so <laughs> it is a big debate. I, I know this. Like people do love Triax, and I do really like Triax too. But I, I believe if I do want to get that like contrast from Triax, then I can just. I can just soup the uh, HC-110 and Rodinal. And I love doing that too, like the sharpness from using Rodinal. But then also like if I want to push using the HC-110 or even like uh, I used X-Toll, HP-5 uh, at 800 in X-Toll. I shot basically everything when I went back to the UK. I shot basically everything at that and I and I just really loved that. Like I really think like the versatility yeah. from HP-5 
can truly do everything that they want it to do. So that that's why HP5 would be my choice. Yeah, well, it's yeah. funny because this this question was actually about your color photography, and we didn't even talk about color film stock. So, what's your what's your choice on uh, on your color? Oh, I kind of hate I hate that my choice on color is is Portra four hundred because <laughs> of no, course it's, it was because uh, you can't beat no it. Yeah. God bless America. I know. God bless America. Elford, you know they they didn't they announce some like special um thing today about they uh, yeah, might yeah, be a new film. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Ilfa Color, if it's a thing, <laughs> sign me up, baby, because that's all I'm shooting. <laughs> UK forever. I will never touch Kodak again. No, I'm just, <laughs> that's not true. I yeah, I Portrait 400 is just you know you, I don't think you can go wrong with it. It will do whatever you want it to do. You can shoot it at so 400. It's, it's, it is so hard to to uh, fuck up that film, really. Like yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's bulletproof. Yeah, right, it's it true. Even even though I will say, and I don't want to say this because I think it's gone up in price recently. When I went back to Michigan the last time, I shot a lot of Lomo 800, and damn, that film in 120 in medium format is absolutely beautiful. It is a great Honestly, film. it and it's cheap, dude. Like, for real. Lomo 800 in 120, I, and, and I love having the 800 too. It's just a, a bit nicer to have that. But you overexpose it, it looks beautiful as well. I mean, you can't really overexpose color film most people. Right. I mean, right. Right. but that's, that's kind of the, the, the awesome thing about it is that I've shot so much Portra 400 that I know if I shoot it at 100 and 200, the look that I'm going to get. I know if I shoot it at 400, what it's going to look like. I know I can even, you know you know push it to 800 or just underexpose it i'm still going to get something that i enjoy so just just i think the film that you've used the most is almost thing and portrait 160 as well i'll shoot that in four by five because it's cheaper like by a lot than Mm -hmm. shooting portrait 400 Mm -hmm. four by five i'm not really sure why i guess because the but is it the same in 120 it is right. One sixty. Uh, I think one sixty is a little cheaper. Yeah, yeah. But right. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's more noticeable uh, in four by five. I think like the price yeah. is, is quite a bit more in four by five than it is. But yeah, I like that film a lot too. But I I've not really shot much portrait eight hundred actually. And I know it's great. That it's great, but it's expensive. Yeah, right. It's yeah. an older stock, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. um, it actually does look different rather than. 160 and 400 i believe being the, the same kind of thing yeah it has a little more of a little older school look to it in my opinion the 800 does it's a great film right. but it, it is it's pricey and uh yeah um i shot a row of the 35 millimeter lomo 800 uh, a couple months ago and i was shocked at how good that film was yeah and, it's yeah. but i think even though i've heard that that is just the um you know the Kodak 800, the consumer 800, yeah. yeah, and the disposable cameras, mm-hmm. but it's not spooled anywhere else to 120. So what Lomo is doing? Yeah, I don't know Lomo what. Yeah, I don't, yeah. unless they're somehow yeah. unless they're somehow getting like master reels from Kodak and cutting it down. I don't understand where. I that think that's what from. they are doing. I think they have enough money to buy like whatever it is to get the master roll to get it rolled down. Right. The only thing with Lomo 800 is that um, in the Mamiya 7 that I use, it. Uh, that it can fat roll a bit. I think you have to like make sure that I know they had some quality issues with their rolls, but mm-hmm. um, oh. yeah, that's one thing that I did notice on that. But I, I do love that film a lot. So Lomo 800, if I'm going to use anything else is, is just beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Dave, what's your what's your color film of choice? Uh, boy, color film. Honestly, it's probably based on availability as much as anything else. But I've been using a lot of Fuji Superior 400 mm-hmm. uh, because I can get it for super cheap at my local camera store. So right. uh, and I like you know, it. Dries, yeah, you it's know, a good film. Yeah, yeah, it's good film. It's good film. It's not hey, it's not Kodak. I get that, but uh, <laughs> it's still good. I use that for uh, black and white. Um, I hate to say it, but Sam's right. HP5 is very yes. versatile, so I do use a lot of HP5 for black and white. Uh, well, we're going to take away your U.S. citizenship now. So <laughs> <laughs> It was voted number one best film, right, in the Sunnies? Well, that's <laughs> you're a very British bias podcast. Yeah. Just, there's, there's no bias there. Yeah, that was fair. <laughs> no, right, hey, they right. have both Ilford reps and Kodak reps on that podcast. They do. So, they do. Yeah, you they know, do. that's thing yeah. but yeah i, I like guess. superior 400 as well it's yep. a nice film have you used superior 800 before i have a while ago yeah and i like that too my other black and white of choice if i can get it is uh eastman uh kodak double x 5222 oh, it's so, good. It's so oh, good. i love that yeah. love that film. for 35 millimeter obviously we can't get it in uh 120 but for 35 i love that film it's just again oh. my local store doesn't carry it so i've got a you know mail ordered or internet but uh yeah, beautiful film. Yeah, I have some Sinistel BWXX right in front of me, and I believe that's that stock, correct? Same film, yeah. yeah. Same yeah. stuff, yep. But do, is it, um, not FOMA, but Lomo, don't they roll like a 120 kind of similar cinema film, right? Like a newer one? Uh, they have one, Yeah. Uh, what is it called? Is it the Berlin, maybe? Like what, uh, or Berlin Kino, isn't it called Kino? Kino. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, Kino that's film. That's right. yeah. Does that look a yeah, bit like that? Item. I haven't shot it, so I'm not sure. I don't have any it experience is. with that yet, so I don't. Yeah, don't know. It's a, I know it's a cinema black and white film, so I would I would maybe expect that it might be similar. I don't know, but I'm still holding out, and I'm still uh, constantly behind the scenes uh, prodding Andre to get Cinestill to uh, get us double X and and one twenty. So yeah. there you go. I'm going to put that out there again. So, but but yeah, uh, yeah. will never be in stock if they do. No, I'm just sorry. <laughs> 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 But uh, all right. So, uh, all right, do we have uh, any more? I, we got a couple more questions, right, Dave? There are a couple more. Uh, we have one from uh, Andrew Bartram actually uh, asked a question. Uh, says, the, "I'm uh, guessing William large format photography podcast and the lensless podcast. Yeah, and lensless podcasts. both. Yeah, one and the same." Uh, his question is, "I'm guessing William Eggleston is a big influence on you. Uh, who else inspires you?" Yeah. Good question. And, you know, like with this thing, with him saying, I'm guessing William Eggleston's a big uh, influence on you, that's to me is a huge compliment because that means he's seeing some of William Eggleston's work in my work, and that is a crazy compliment. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own home, but even if he's saying that, like, I'm I'm happy that uh, he's got some of that there. So, yeah, William Eggleston. Uh, his book guide when I first got it it um, kind of altered what I thought photography was and then the same with Alex Soth who I mentioned earlier so uh, Stephen Shaw Alex Soth and William Eggleston three very famous photographers um, they're, they're my main inspirations in that sense because just I think they showed me they were the first kind of um, exposure that I had to photography that wasn't it didn't feel like it was about making aesthetically 
pretty pictures like, like before like that cla- like the classic landscape right yeah yeah that's what i was chasing beforehand before i before i'd been exposed to these pictures i just would seen these big sweeping vistas of landscapes and stuff and i mm-hmm. love those pictures no like don't get me wrong i love that kind of photography but like i just never seen anything that challenged me in a different way of this kind of like uh, this brutal kind of amazingly composed stuff that just like uh perfectly derived this way of life or something like that like Mm -hmm. especially like when they're able to create like almost these worlds that you feel like you've lived in but you've never experienced when you look through like eggleston shores or you know um their work it's like you can almost imagine yourself there the way that they shoot is just kind of a different kind of experience and i always wanted to create that like because i never i've never i never got those pictures from just a really nice beautiful landscape so i always tried to imitate them but you know i'd look over my own work and just think well what are you if you just try and imitate these people and things like that like you're obviously never going to do it as well as they would mm-hmm. but um, i guess that's not always a good way to look at it but yeah so yeah awesome awesome all right well uh i think we have like one more question is that right and we kind we of talked one about this during the break it We may have touched on this already. Uh, this one is from Jeremy North, and he asks uh, the question, who are you? Ooh, <laughs> well, that's a deep one. If, if there's one thing from Jeremy North, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're going to get something blunt. And uh, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Webster's Dictionary defines... No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's wow. That's not how I'm gonna start this. I'm, I don't, was, was was Mr. Webster an Englishman by the chance? I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know what Webster's dictionary is. I just I've heard that as a quote before, and like people, you know, it's like a thing. It's like when somebody does a wedding speech, they're just gonna start with Webster's dictionary defines. Is that a thing? Webster's dictionary. It is a thing. Yeah. Okay. It is a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Who am I though? Uh. I I don't know yet. That's the thing. Like I think, if, if we're gonna go deep like that, I do not quite know who I am yet. I'm uh I'm 25 years old, so I don't know if anybody would ever look back in their life and say I knew exactly who I was at 25 years old. No, I don't know at any I, age. I, I, was, I was actually gonna ask you your age because I will uh, go on record. I did not figure out who I was until I was at 32 was a magical year for me around Mm -hmm. 32 years old. I was like, okay, I know who I am. I'm going to stop trying to be somebody else. Mm. I'm going to just be the best Mike Gutterman that I can be because this is who I am. I can't, I can't fucking change this point. And, uh, I'm just going to try to just be the best at what I am and stop trying to be something else. And it took me till like 32 to get to that. So you you got a couple years. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I don't know if it was, um, my, my life circumstance or whatever like that, but I know I did a lot of growing up when I moved, um, far away from my home and where I was from. So when I moved to America, I think that was a really big, change in my life so it really forced me to confront some of those things it was a lot it was a lot tougher for me to just like figure out what i wanted to do i wasn't around all my friends and the the typical life that i was used to and that's almost what kind of brought me back into photography and wanted to get creative again because i felt like there was something there that i wanted to express 
that I hadn't really done before. So getting back into photography and stuff was, was uh, I guess, helping me find who I was. So I've been doing that in the past few years. But I don't know if you ever fully know who you are. So I think it's always a continual working process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, you're not old enough yet. I don't know if you feel this way, Dave, but I feel like I know who I am. I'm a, I'm a guy that, that drinks a lot and uh, and does a podcast and uh, and uh, yeah. it's kind of just a big goofball. So, Dave, I, yeah. I, I, do you, I, what, what age do you kind of feel like you felt figured out uh, who who Dave Mahali was? What, what, what was your magic age? Yeah, so I'm 50 now, and probably maybe a couple years older than you, Mike. I think probably 35 was maybe when it kind of hit me because again at that mm. point mm. married uh had my first son had the house um kind of like you said I, but actually now that i'm just starting my 50s i, I just i feel more a lot more comfortable in my skin so probably th- between mm. 35 and 40 i think is when i just kind of felt more like myself and like almost like you said it's not not worrying about pleasing everybody else so much or worrying about other people's uh perceptions or expectations of you so hmm. yeah probably 35 maybe even 40 for me mm-hmm. but yeah they get to the point where you, you get to a certain age you like you just don't give shit anymore because uh, <laughs> hey I'm, 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 right. I'm an old guy now so it doesn't matter like I, I don't right. i'm not relevant like the the advertisers are not even advertising <laughs> towards us anymore right so <laughs> right yeah you, you got to live your own life yeah right That's right but is it okay to, to change who you are or, or try and grow as who you are even in to, to, to your later ages? Like, do you, do you feel totally comfortable in that box right now? Or do you feel like you still have room to grow and change as a person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, don't, I think it's, it's definitely a fluid or a dynamic thing. It's not static. So, yeah, if, if you don't grow, yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of dying in a way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that I'm kind of set in my ways and have to do everything mm-hmm. like this for the rest of my life. So definitely room for growth. Absolutely. But I also think, too, like the changes as you get older, the, the, the changes that you kind of uh, like kind of start moving towards or a little they're, they're the increments are much smaller than in your twenties and thirties. The increments in your twenties and thirties, the changes are drastic. And, 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 uh, whereas like the, the changes yeah. that you make in your life get a little, the, the increments get a lot smaller, the older you get, you know? And, uh, sure. so because it takes us a lot longer to get motivated to even do anything, get off the couch. Yeah. So, we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I feel it in my past. You're not wrong. Like, <laughs> I feel like in my past four or five years, you know, it was a big few years of going through college and stuff and then moving to the States and then settling down a bit more. Like the past few years have been a bit more relaxed, you know, I'm with somebody full time and stuff like that. Like um, got stuff figured out a little bit, not worried about, you know, some crazy life happenings. You, you feel a bit more set in your skin and you're like 20s and stuff. So sure, maybe I'm yeah. maybe I'm approaching the golden thirty-two, where I'll, where I fully know who I am. But so uh, Sam, we'll, we'll we'll try to we'll have you on in a decade and, uh, <laughs> and figure out where you're at. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We'll see. if we're still alive. Yeah, if we. <laughs> right, right. If I'm still on, nothing's taken for granted. No, nobody knows. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, well, I think uh, that's all the questions from the uh, the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. And thanks to everybody for uh, there's some really excellent questions. Uh, we kind of had uh, uh, quality over quantity this time, so and I, I liked it. So uh, uh, let's um, 
go ahead and take uh, one more last break, and uh, we'll come back. And uh, I think uh, maybe I have a couple questions I want to talk about with Sam, and maybe Dave might have some uh, some other things to to probe a little deeper into uh, uh, yep. this uh, this young man named uh, Sam <laughs> that is still still finding his way in this world. So, uh, <laughs> so, so uh, we'll take a break and uh, be right back, folks. All right, folks, we're back for the final segment, and uh, Dave, Mr. Dave Mahali, the old camera guy, and I have a couple questions we want to talk about with Mr. Sam Heaney on the uh, the last segment here. So I'll go ahead and start uh, with uh, kind of a question I wanted to ask him about. Uh, Sam, you, you live in Seattle, and you shoot color, and like my sort of stereotype of Seattle is uh, rainy, gray, uh, kind of weather, uh, but maybe that's uh, a misconception, but talk to us a little bit about, uh, just Seattle weather. Cause it seems like it would just be prime, uh, kind of the prime town for black and white. Cause I just, I, for some mm-hmm. reason, when I picture Seattle, I picture black and white. Maybe I'm remembering like all those like, uh, grunge photos from the 1990s yeah. of, uh, yes. of black and white. So, uh, yeah. So talk a little bit about the weather and how that affects your choice with shooting color film and, and does it really rain there as much as everybody acts like it does? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. It's funny because a lot of people here say like, oh, you're, you're British. So you must be used to the weather here. And it's true. Like the, the <laughs> weather here is quite similar to the weather in the UK so, you know, it is kind of cloudy and overcast quite a lot. I think I looked up the statistics and it actually does rain more in Seattle than it does in the UK. Mm. So, so there's that. Um, but isn't you know, it more like a, isn't it more like a mist that you all get? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It doesn't. But then when it, in the winter here, it like really downpours sometimes. Uh, a few years I've been mm. here, like it's either like misting like light or it's just really, really coming down. So I don't know, and that sucks because you don't really even want to be out with your camera when it's like that. But uh, yeah, you have one of those p- waterproof point and shoots, right? So yeah. oh yeah, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But it's weatherproof. Let's get it right. right. It doesn't say waterproof. It says <laughs> That's weatherproof. Right. That's like, right. Don't dunk it in a lake, but maybe it will survive <laughs> some rain. So, but yeah, um, shooting with that with the overcast. When I went back to the UK and shot quite a lot of color it was overcast quite a lot and i almost kind of like the um the aesthetic that um color film gives you in overcast sometimes like the more especially if you overexpose it and overcast it can go a bit magenta but like mm. especially portra but you can color correct it it's, it's not a sin to color correct your color images that's okay sure. you're allowed to do right. that so um yeah, if you're good uh, at it, which I'm actually right. absolutely awful at. It's it, but, true; yeah. it is a pain, and it's not fun to do at all. So there is yeah. that. But um, yeah, but also I found black and white. If the if the light isn't strong or it's kind of flat, like that's almost harder for me. I'd rather shoot color in flat light than black and white in flat light. 
because um, it just I feel like I can get more by using the the subtle tones of the color than whether in black and white, especially if I'm shooting HP five. It kind of can just be a big sea of gray sometimes. Mm. But but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it just depends on personal preference what what you're into. I mean, that's the good thing about film is you can kind of do whatever you want with it. So if it goes super gray and you want to just punch the contrast, you can you can just punch the contrast with the developer or whatever film stock you use. And it's the same with you can use Ektar when it's kind of gray, and that can really bring out some interesting colors. Or you can go full pastel and just overexpose some portrait when it's gray. I think it's just you got to learn to to live with it and experiment and whatever the weather gives you, kind of just just go for it. Don't let it stop you shooting because yeah, you just want to get out and take pictures. I've actually been surprised. Like in, in Louisville, we get uh, one thing that it's a sort of a love hate thing about Louisville. And Dave, you probably feel the same way where you're at. We get, uh, we definitely get all four seasons and we get all types of weather. Yeah. Like we get mm. hot and humid, we get rainy, we get snow, we, yeah. we get it all. And like, uh, but I have found it in, in, in certain situations, uh, shooting color film on, on a day you wouldn't think color film would work. Uh, sometimes the color, I, I don't know, it just sometimes you get a certain light. And yeah. the colors pop way more than you thought they would. And like, yeah. it kind of yep. always surprised yep. me sometimes. It's, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't work, but when it does work, man, sometimes yeah, that, definitely. That, that, that overcast yeah. can really cause the, the colors to actually pop more than if it was a bright, sunny day. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing I do love about film, especially because like, you know, with all the tones that um, color negative can capture, it's so hard to overexpose. So especially when you get these kind of cloudy, but the sun's trying to peek through a little bit and you include the sky in that picture, you really get all the different types of hues and uh, tones in the sky that might just get washed out if it's a digital image while capturing the foreground. So that's why using color in that in that instance is one of my favorite places to use it. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. All right, Dave, do you have a question for uh, for Sam? Yeah, I do. Uh, I guess it's maybe kind of a, a two-part question. I, the first part is, you know, we've been talking about uh, your Ramiya 7, your your Bessa, your Context T. I want to know if there's a specific uh, method to your madness as far as, like, picking what gear to take with you that day. Is it based on what you're shooting? Is it weather conditions, a little bit of everything? Uh, just kind of what your process is for deciding, you know, what's, what goes in your bag. Uh, the second part of the question is, uh, do you think owning 150 cameras is excessive? I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll start with the latter. Um, maybe you want to tell your friend like that he might want to look into some local support and help groups with his <laughs> issue. But uh, 150 is, you know, isn't too bad. I'm sure there's people that own more. You know, like. Okay. Just, I, I, I'll let you know. There's, there's, yeah. there's one or two that own more than that, right? So yeah, you're good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, no pressure. Good. Good. No, I mean the more the more cameras that I've amassed over the time is the more like with with the camera choice. So when I was first looking at like getting into medium format, I wanted to buy something cheaper. So I looked at the Pentax six four five, and I really liked that. So I ended up picking mm-hmm. up the Pentax six four five, and it is a, it's, it is a working man's uh, camera. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it was nice. Yeah. And I got some good good there pictures with it. But then I knew. <laughs> I knew it wasn't really going to do what, what I wanted it to. So I was like, oh, I kind of like 6x7, that format. So I started looking into 6x7 cameras, and I saw the Mamiya 7, and I was like, 
uh, you know, that's a lot of money, but it makes these amazing images. Of course, the camera doesn't make the pictures. But then I ended up buying this, um, this, uh, what is that? I have it over there. It's a Konica Omega Rapid M. Have you, have mm-hmm. you seen those before? Those, they're like a press camera. So it's oh, okay. Konica Omega Rapid. So I, I bought one of those and it, it has this, you look it up, it's got this crazy, um, uh, way to like move the frame to the next frame. It like cocks out like a rifle almost. You like pull it out. And it like talks <laughs> to the next image. I'm gonna wow. get the camera to see if you can see if it's there. <laughs> there. So it kind of. Did you hear that? So that's what it <laughs> yeah, does. It that's how you. Yeah, that, that's how you um, move the the shutter to the next shot. So it's kind of crazy, and it's this big thing, and the rangefinder is really dim. And I used it, and I liked, I loved the images that the 6x7 gave me. I, I love that format. I do and love that. 10 format. images to a roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 images to a roll is, is kind of a, not really a sweet spot, but like, I don't know. It, it, it feels it feels fine when you do 6x9, and it's like a bit, I think it's like 7 or 8. I'm like, yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of not funny. But um, so yeah, the 6x7, and I also like the 4x5 aspect ratio. Like um, 35 mil, which is five by seven, I believe, can be a bit. Um, it's a little too rectangular for my. Yeah, taste. it can yeah. be. A, yeah, exactly. It can be a bit mm. too rectangular. So that six by seven, four by five, it is really. I don't think it's. I don't think it translates actually to four by five as six by seven. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. Not, I well, I, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about the six by seven format a lot because I, I really love my Pentax six seven and and I was thinking, what is it that I like about that particular format uh, more than uh, maybe some of the other medium format uh, mm. or even thirty five millimeter? And well, first of all, I mean, the, one of the main things for me with art shows, I print uh, everything at eight by ten, and six by seven is the perfect uh, marriage for eight by tens. But yeah. also, I, I was thinking about it. If you just look. Like with your eyes, if you just look ahead, like we see humans, our vision, if you look straight ahead, is a rectangle. Right. And I think our rectangle of vision is about six by seven. I don't, I feel like it's, it's. Yeah. I, I get what you mean in a weird way. It just seems to make sense. When, right. when I line it up with the viewfinder or the rangefinder, even, it just seems to like, it, it has that like pleasing quality of, enough of mm-hmm. this and enough of that kind of thing right right so, right so i'd settled on six by seven and i was looking at different ones and like you know how oh, maybe i might want a few lenses or something like that i love i love the idea of something being more compact and light and taking it around with me that's kind of important i don't want to feel encumbered by the camera and i don't want to feel like the camera's getting in the way of me taking pictures so rangefinder right. kind of works with that. The Pentax six seven seemed a bit big and bulky. I mean, it it makes amazing images, but I, I'm convinced that everybody that has a Pentax six by seven cannot turn if they have the one o five two point four lens. <laughs> They, it's stuck on 2.4. They can't turn it off 2.4. Guilty as charged. Every time I see a picture, which is from that camera and lens combination, I'm like, you shot that on 2.4, didn't you? Like, nobody... It's like, put it on F8, dude. It's a landscape. Don't put it on 2.4. I, I, I get... <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. It looks beautiful on the... Yeah, but... um. I, so that's another point of it. Like I wasn't doing many portraits and stuff. So 
but even though I think the Mamiya 7 does, does great for portraits, the minimum focus and distance isn't like super close, but like I mm -hmm. still feel like I, knew, I can use it like that. And um, F4 is the lowest it will go, but again, I'm not shooting um, shallow depth of field stuff as much. I like yeah. to shoot landscapes and have a lot of detail, so I mostly just leave it at F8. And the fact that it's just portable, easy to use, it's so easy to use. It's like deceptively easy for a medium format camera. The way you can fire off shots with that camera is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But so, I don't uh, want to say all the sorry, gone. Do you do you do you have uh, any sort of affinity towards like canned pasta or anything when you use the Mamiya? But just by chance, <laughs> just canned yeah, pasta. <laughs> I, I don't, wait, is that a reference to something? I don't, I don't know. Understand. It's just, it's just something, just something. Yeah, I don't know. People that listen to the podcast, they'll know. But <laughs> oh, I just, to, to me, to me, Mamiya sounds like a store brand. Uh, That's uh, right. We already can <laughs> Yeah, you look around the store and you're like, oh, there's a Mamiya, like the cheap and cheerful version of that pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the Mamiya cameras are anything but cheap and cheerful. Right, right. I Which just I... like to, I just like to give people shit about it. So, but... no, it's fine. And I don't want to talk it up too much because you know the prices of those things just go crazy. And the right. worrying thing is, is like if it breaks, I, I just have to buy another one. Like. There's no, there's nothing else that really does it for me like that camera does, which I I hate to admit. I want to say you know it's an overrated, overhyped camera, and you know you shouldn't buy it because of this, this, and this. But it's it's just so nice to use. I've taken it everywhere with me. I've traveled back to the UK with it. I, it can go in my bag anywhere, and it's just you know the lenses on it are so good. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it it doesn't really make the picture any better, which is the the be all end all of the whole photography thing, right? Is the camera doesn't doesn't make the picture, but but I believe the Mamiya Seven's a little special. It does make the pictures better. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, I it, it, you know a lot of people talk about oh you know it's not about the gear, but sometimes it is about the gear. Like a hoga, right. a hoga is a hoga, man, and nothing looks like it. Like that shot looked right. like that because it was the gear. It was the hoga, you know. So mm, yep, uh, sure. yeah. But uh, uh, it's so it, it, kind of with Dave's question, like, so when you when you're going out to shoot, do you, do you find yourself like uh, having the stress that I have where like, oh, what camera am I going to take today? What what film are, are you are, are you kind of a little bit um, better about it than I am? Like where you, you can actually get out of the house uh, right. quickly rather than an hour of debating what camera and film you're going to take. So. Yeah, I, I did really work on limiting it down. I really wanted to figure out what was the most enjoyable type of thing to use for me and how I wanted to shoot the most, like with with fit and my style. But at the end of the day, like this, the point and shoots that I can just put in my pocket when I'm going on a bike ride is totally different to like, I can't see my, my Mamiya 7 on that bike ride, really. I don't really right. want to. If I'm on a bike, I don't really want to fall right. off and smash that thing but um but i did try and limit it down to figure out what i like because i do like shooting 35 mil now i didn't used to like it as much but when i got a better scanning option for that i ended up getting mm -hmm. a nikon cool scan and um oh wow just just the pictures when when i looked to the 35 mil pictures from that's from a real scan it really made a big difference and i don't mean to talk shit on an epson flatbed scanner you know i still use that for my medium format 
and they're perfectly fine for for 35 mil. But when I was mm-hmm. comparing them and I was scanning 35 mil on a dedicated 35 mil scanner, it really made me enjoy that format a bit more. I felt like I was happier to use it. So I wanted to um, kind of get something that was a bit similar to my Mamiya 7 in a 35 mil format. So, mm. you know, of course, you look at rangefinders in 35 mil and what, what do you first come towards? You look at the Leica. Like yeah, of course. <laughs> so, but, but um, you know, I, I really wanted Aperture Priority because I, I like using it a lot. I like the... Oh, yeah, I love Aperture yeah. Priority. Yeah. Right. Like, I love just pointing my camera a scene, putting FA on it, and then, like, you know, see what happens. Like, I try, I know that the speed is going to be quick enough to... Uh, to not be a super slow shutter speed. So I like using that. And then Aperture Priority Leica is an M7 or above, you know, like an mm. MP. And those those are crazy expensive. So right. it kind of uh, led me toward the plastic fantastic um, Voigtlander Besser, which really, like, I love that camera as well. Like, even, and that wasn't cheap, to be honest. The the Voigtlander Bessers aren't super cheap anymore. I think they used to be, but I think the R3A, which is what I have, I think it goes for, like, 800 now. I think you can get them a bit cheaper, but it just depends where you look. So, mm. so that, that kind of fulfilled the purpose of feeling a bit more like the Mia 7, and then I wanted to get a lens that was comparable but of course, when you're looking at M mount lenses, you're looking at, you know, Leica, uh, Leica lenses again. <laughs> but those Zeiss lenses, and again, they're still not really cheap. So I got the Zeiss Biogon 2.8. So 2.8 isn't super, you know, for a for a 35 mil lens, it's not super fast. But mm-hmm. that lens, the Zeiss Bygon 2.8, is just ridiculously sharp. And that combo, because the, the majority of what I shoot is either 35mm at the 35 um, uh, focal length, and then on the Mamiya 7, it's the 80mm, which is what I use the most. I do have the 43, which is really fun. Uh, super, super wide. Like I've never yeah. used a wide, I've never used a wide lens like that. Like it's just it's kind of crazy how much it gets in and how little distortion you have on a, such a wide lens. Mm. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that's my kind of preferred focal length. I love that thirty-five kind of eighty on on medium format. Like it just feels like you can kind of do anything with it. So that was right. the process of like finding what cameras and lenses I wanted. I wanted to just narrow down so I wouldn't have to make as many choices when I'm looking to a camera to pick up. I was like, I'll just spend the money now so that I know when I'm leaving, I, I know what I want to grab and what I want to use. And of course, it's a luxury to be able to like even consider just buying the cameras that you want. I know people say that like, oh, but I, I did end up buying cameras that I wasn't really going to use and then ended up just buying the one that I wanted anyway. So if you really do think that you want that camera, you can buy that camera. It's okay. I won't tell. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's like my dad always says this about like tools, you know, like, uh, like, uh, what is it? Like buy once, cry once or whatever or something. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Like, like just buy, mm-hmm. qu- buy what you want right from the get go, get good quality. And, and then you, you actually in a way save money, even though it doesn't, it seems, mm-hmm. it seems like it doesn't, uh, necessarily translate, but it does seem to translate because, uh, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of money, uh, in both music and photography, uh, going through cameras or guitars, trying to figure out what my thing was. And, um, 
no one kind of from the get go where I really wanted to end up. And it just, I, I took way too long of paths to get where I wanted to end up. And, and, and when I finally got to that destination, it's like, I should have just went to the destination. I should have yeah. taken a direct flight to it, you know? So, right. yeah. But, yeah. uh, all right. Well, I got, uh, one other question, uh, Sam, uh, I was looking, looking through your Instagram feed and, uh, you know, not all the shots, but I, I definitely sense a lot of, uh, uh, like minimalism in your in your photos, and also uh, which I, I really like because I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff, and also uh, kind of going back to I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast or if it was actually during a, one of our breaks we were talking, but uh, like there was photos that you have in your Instagram feed that are photos that I'm kind of talking about where you feel a little weird taking those photos because somebody sees you and like, why is he taking a photo of that? That doesn't look like a good photograph. What's this guy right. doing? Like, uh, but you, you seem to find, um, kind of like beauty and like, uh, interesting subjects and things that don't necessarily look like they would be an interesting subject. So I uh, just kind of talk about your process there when you're out shooting, uh, is, is minimalism something that you're a fan of? And also like, uh, do you, do you kind of find like this joy and, and, uh, in these photos that, maybe other people would pass up and not see as necessarily a, a good photograph. Cause you seem to have a, a, a good of a, a bit of a knack at doing that. So uh, I, I really appreciate that. There's a, there's a compliment saying that in general, because yeah, I, I do try and look for that. I, I love, I do like the minimalist aspect of some of the pictures. I, I don't really know what it is that originally draws me to them, but I just, I think it was for a long time I was trying to take these pictures and I was just trying to do so much with the pictures. I think mm -hmm. it's easy to get caught up and see like this massive landscape or all these amazing things and just try and like include everything in it. But like it's just trying to pick a few things to work together. I, I really get a joy of trying to like really line up the image to where mm -hmm. like exactly everything I want is in the frame or not. Like I really concentrate on in america there's a lot of like telephone poles and and wires in the background mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. always want i can't chop one of those off or have one like half in or something like that like i always make sure that those are in so i think there's almost a beauty in just trying to line up like a, a really basic thing like just right and just there's like a aesthetic of it all just matching together and just feeling like complete like pleasing to to look at in that sense I don't really know, yeah, where it comes from or, like, why, but it just, it always feels kind of, feels like I'm drawn to that stuff. I feel Do you like think when some, I, of your, some of your influences from other photographers or other photography you looked at has had a play in that, or you think it's something you've yeah. kind of uh, developed yourself? No, it's definitely from from, from influence. Like, that's that's mm. kind of the, the style of, like, Shaw and uh, Eggleston specifically. They... They kind of did a lot of work like that, especially in Stephen Shaw's uh, Uncommon uh, Places book where he kind of road trips across America. That That's a big one where, you know, he just shoots storefronts and things that you see every day. And um, that I, th there's just something joyful about um, making something out of a picture of, of that that you just would look past all the time, especially mm -hmm. like. When when I'd take buses a lot when I was younger and go to school on a bus or go to work on a bus, I I just often just daydream and stare out the windows. I feel like I just would stare into blank fields and at walls and things like that. I don't really know why, and I almost think it's trying to make pictures of of those types of things that are just very simple, very minimal, and 
is is kind of an ode to to a daydream in a way, which mm. sounds like another again. It sounds like an artist statement. artistic statement. <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> it does sound like that. And I don't mean to sound as pretentious. I don't want to take myself too seriously or anything like that. But um, I, as somebody who struggles with concentrating on things, just staring into walls and corners and open fields a lot, like um, tried to maybe convey a little bit of that in some of the pictures. I don't know if that's the best answer, but oh, I, I think it's great, great. I, I, you know, I yeah. think there's a certain beauty in finding an image uh, in the mundane, and I think that's a real challenge in photography. And, I, and when you pull it off, I think it's a, uh, it can be a real win. And especially because what's mundane now uh, in ten years will be like seen as not mundane because that that building or whatever may have completely changed. That landscape may have completely changed. Like I don't really think there's a such thing as too mundane of a photo because in right. 10, 20 years it'll have like this, this sort of magic to it that kind of grows with age. Right. Uh, kind of like me. Uh, I could keep uh, kind of you know. <laughs> So, but, uh, but, but the, uh, um, but I, but I will say like, you know, uh, like looking at your photography, it's just, uh, it seems like you, you, you kind of excel at kind of finding, uh, uh, these kind of, uh, scenes that other people may pass up and you kind of make something happen with it. Uh, but when you, have you ever run into a scene? I ran into this today, actually. Uh, like, man, no matter how I lined it up, like I just could not, get a certain distracting elements out of it. And I thought, well, I could, yeah. I could take the photo and, and crop it maybe or something. And in a couple of cases I did do that, but I, I could never really get the composition right because you know, like a trash can or something, something would mm. be, something would be mm. destroying the, the, the composition. And like, uh, and there was just no, no matter where I moved or what I tried to do, I couldn't really make it happen. And it, it kind of was disappointing. Do you ever run into those situations with that? Yeah, I think so. And especially even with ones where I've, I've taken the photo and obviously I think we all do this when we take the picture and we think that's the one on the roll that's going to be the, the serious one that I'm excited oh. to see. And it, it can't, it sometimes you just look at it and it's a completely dead bland photo and you're like, why did I even take this? Like that happens a right. lot. But sometimes yeah. I think a part of learning to be better at photography and is is realizing is not taking the photo. I don't know if there's a quote. There must be a quote by somebody, um, some famous <laughs> photographer about, you know, not taking the picture is a good time to learn about photography. It's like when you go out and like, okay, you see something, but you, you don't take that picture, but maybe that's a way you've learned. And I mean, or maybe you have, your phone or a 35 mil camera and you can just blast off a few frames and it's not that big of a deal but sometimes not taking the picture can can garner you more from taking it and being dissatisfied with it especially That's when you're point. spending yeah. like seven bucks a roll on 120 film and you only get 10 <laughs> pictures and then you do right. the calculations on how much a frame costs and you're like no i'm just not gonna do this i'm gonna ignore yeah. that I, I try mm-hmm. to uh, frame costs. I, I I I refuse to like do the math on frame costs. Oh and... yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But, All right. Yeah. Well, Dave, do you have anything else for Sam, or uh, where are we at? Uh, no, I think uh, we he's answered the questions just uh, great. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I think it's uh, about time to start wrapping up the show. Like, Sam, you got anything else on that subject before we uh, kind of wrap it up, or? Um. Yeah, I think the only one more thing I was going to say is just I think the mundane kind of uh, simple stuff 
kind of harks back to when I was younger with a digital camera. I was always um, looking for better places to go to do photography. I think it's easy to get bogged down in your area and think, well, I don't have any interesting things to shoot or any uh, interesting like locations. If I was only in the, the mountains, I could take some beautiful landscape photos and stuff. And I was very much like that when I was younger. But then when I went back to visit the UK, I found all these pictures that I wanted to take. So wherever you are and where you live, like if you don't, like if you're worried about like it not being interesting enough, just, just go out and shoot and see what you can find because you might be surprised and actually what you, you get from that. It's not always about the, the location. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly right. agree. And because uh, uh, Dave, you you kind of live in a kind of a similar area of the United States that I do, yep. and we don't have we don't have like a whole lot of grand vistas. We don't have like huge mountains and and a lot of the right. like stuff you see from Ansel Adams and stuff like that. Like uh, you know, we have to we have to work a little harder sometimes to uh, yeah. to find some some scenes. And uh, uh, so yeah, do, do you feel sort of the same way? Like you just kind of sometimes uh, yeah. it may be a little bit harder work, but you know, there, there's, yeah, I there's think it, no, matter, no matter where exactly, you live, there, there's right. photo opportunities. Yeah, there's always something. I mean, if you can't find something interesting to photograph, uh, look again, look harder, uh, put mm. some effort into it, and you you'll find something. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way it could make you a little bit better photographer because you are a little more challenged with uh, finding these scenes, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and even if you shoot and fail and you didn't like it right then, you think, oh, maybe the light could be better or something. Like, if it is your local area, just, yeah, keep an eye on the weather and go back if the light's better. Mm -hmm. You, You can always go back to those locations if you live close. And it's okay to like grow and learn in in your local areas and just shoot. Just just take lots and lots of pictures. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, like Dave, where, Dave, where we live, I mean, we get all all sorts of weather: rain, snow, all this stuff. Maybe a, a good snowy day or some a foggy day or whatever can uh, transform that scene into something uh, way better than what it would normally look like. So, because we we get the we do get the advantage of oh, a little bit of everything. So yeah, so oh, yeah, we yeah. get all we got all four seasons sometimes in the same day in Ohio. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 We've had it drop uh, 40 degrees in in one day in like 12 hours. So, yeah. 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 One more thing, like even and even if your your photo isn't a grand vista and some amazing like, you know, piece of art, which is a beautiful landscape, like it's okay. Like your pictures are still valid and they still will mean something to someone and you know it's still your art like don't always compare it against things like your family might love those pictures like like you say mike with that place in florida that was you know tragically hit by that that um was it it was a hurricane right hurricane michael yeah yeah like you know that you don't know what those pictures might mean to someone eventually and maybe you'll look back at them in 20 years and it's funny Uh, i had people uh you know i had those photos on instagram and i had owners of those businesses uh hit me up and uh and i sent them uh, like a digital file of the photo because it like they didn't have a good photo of their own business and it's gone now and like so it was a huge uh kind of uh i was very happy to like that I had images of their businesses that are now just erased from the planet, uh, that I was able to send to them. And, uh, so, and like those images weren't anything amazing. Uh, they would be considered pretty mundane actually. But after that happened now, suddenly they're, they're not mundane at all. They mean something to somebody. So, yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, I think it's about time to wrap up this podcast and uh sam it has been an absolute joy to have you on the show we've talked about it for a while we've actually had uh pretty pretty good conversations uh 
uh, for a while before uh, before we ever ever got you on the show, and uh, it's been uh, uh, finally nice to actually talk to you not face to face but at least through the the wonders of skype or whatever yeah. so uh but it's been a, a real blast having you on man I, I appreciate it i really appreciate coming on i'm happy to get on here I've listened to the show for a long time so yeah thank you so much it's been it's been oh. a lot of fun oh it's been it's been all all my pleasure man so how about you uh tell the fine folks uh where to check you out and all your social media stuff yeah, um, my main social media is just my uh, Instagram where I post everything. So it's my name. It's Sam, S-A-M, Heaney, last name with two Ys. So it's Sam, H-E-A-N-E-Y-Y. So it's just that, and that's uh, Instagram. Did have an old relic of a flicker, as I'm sure most of us do, but it's not really much on there. I'm on Instagram, and I post on the Facebook group occasionally, Maybe I'll post some pictures from uh, my England trip on the negative positive Facebooks when so when this comes out, people can see s- some of those pictures. So awesome, awesome. Okay, Dave, uh, thank you so much for filling in for Andre last minute, and uh, you were yeah, you were you were you were a very chocolatey cocoa captain today. So uh, I, I definitely appreciate <laughs> <Great>. that. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Dave, uh, where can people check you out? Yeah, my main socials are uh, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, and it is The Old Camera Guy. It's all one word smushed together, The Old Camera Guy. And the kind of stuff I put on there, it's uh, it's some camera reviews, uh, mainly cheap, crappy plastic ones, but occasionally I, I, I put love, a, a, I a decent camera. <laughs> yeah, which I love, too. That's my th- it's my jam. It's my thing. So I put those on there. Occasionally I have giveaways. I have film uh, film stock reviews. I like to shoot funky, uh, weird films, again, like Revelog and uh, Double Film uh, stuff like that. Uh, so again, you can find me on YouTube at the old camera guy, and I use the same handle over on Instagram, the old camera guy. And uh, I post some of my photography there. Occasionally, post short little videos there. So those are the two main places you can find me. Uh, like Sam, I have an old relic of a Flickr account that I haven't used in um, it seems like a couple decades. So I do have a couple <laughs> pictures in there too. You can check out as well. And it's also the old camera guy. Awesome. Awesome. All right. You can uh, check out my photography on Instagram at Gutterman Photo, on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. You can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. Uh, you can join the Facebook group. It is the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group, now over 3,700 members strong. And uh, you can, let's see. Oh, we also have an Instagram account uh, under the name Negative Positives, mostly ran by the show, uh, friend of the show, Mr. Bryce Randall. Uh, if you submit photos to Instagram, think about using the hashtag Negative Positives. And if Bryce sees it, maybe he'll highlight it on the Instagram account for this, uh, this show. So, um, uh, very much enjoyed, uh, having Sam and having Dave on as the, uh, Coco captain. And, uh, it was a, a lot of fun and, uh, everyone have a great week. We will talk to you soon. I, there may be a solo show this week. We'll see. It all depends on how much time I have, but if not, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Everybody have a great week. Everybody stay positive. And shoot some cool film photos. There it is. I did it. I'm the performing monkey. <laughs> I did it now. Is that the foot? No, isn't that's not the first time you've had that with a British accent, right? No. Uh, no, I think okay. we've had. I think we've had. We might have had a British guy do it. Uh, yeah, I think maybe. No, oh, Graham uh, completely destroyed it. Uh, yeah. Oh he, yeah. He, yeah, he's southern yeah. though. He's right. one of those southerners. <laughs> I mean, you've had the other ones in Northerners. I'm in the middle. I'm a Midlands one. So the Northerners call me Southern, and the Southerners call me Northern. 
So, uh, see, we're getting we're learning so much about about you you British people. So. <laughs> we're a complex. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, if you if you don't learn any photography or film photography from this podcast, you at least learn uh, uh, British slangs and 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 culture. So uh, that's that's what we're we're all about, and American stereotypes. So, but uh, <laughs> all right, folks, uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Okay, this is Mike on the mic. Testies, one, two, testies, two testies. Mike on the mic. Uh, Dave? All right, folks. Uh, <laughs> this is Dave Mahali uh, here again uh, with my Blood Select 55, the world's wimpiest beer. It's uh, 95% water, 2% alcohol, and uh, 3% urine. <laughs> oh, well, it's funny because I went to the uh, store, uh, uh, the gas station, right before recording here tonight, and I bought some uh, some Miller uh, 64. So oh, I'm, I'm strong with the Americans. There you nine, go. Uh, nine, nine more calories than you are, Dave. So I'm, I'm going hardcore tonight. So uh, <laughs> yeah, show off. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Sam. So uh, what, what do you uh, give us a little test? And also, what, I guess you're you're going harder core than us, I believe, right? It's so. Testing. Yeah, I am on the Jameson Black Barrel today. Very good. <laughs> I actually had this. This was given wow. to me. I hadn't. Honestly, I wouldn't buy this. I'm not usually an Irish whiskey guy. More of a mm. Scotch guy. You know, I was going to go out and buy a nice bottle of Scotch when I was invited on the podcast. But you know, with Andre not turning up, I'm like, I'm not dropping a hundred bucks on a nice <laughs> bottle of Scotch. <laughs> I'm just going to go the second hand. So you're so basically Dave is Dave is is just he gets the cheap uh he only calls yeah. for the uh, cheap whiskey right yeah. so yeah I don't know no, if I, it's cheap, I, cheap. <laughs> I've never bought it before somebody gave it to me so right it's fine though it's it's not bad well, I've got to get I've got to get you Brits onto bourbon man you guys are buying all this scotch and all these I other whiskeys. Try it. I do yeah. live here I have tried a rye before and it was ooh, it was quite ripe it really like pungent pungent oh yeah. Yeah, really well, funny. I, you know, I had Simon Forster on, and he thought he was he was going to impress me by drinking some bourbon on the show, but he drank Jim Beam, which is like, uh, it's oh, like the, yeah. it's like the, it's well, it's like the, it's like the, too uh, sweet. it's like, yeah, it's too sweet. It's like the Bud Fifty Five of uh, of, uh, <laughs> of whiskey, so or bourbon, so yeah. <laughs> I heard that a gutter man cave production.